Podcast fans, huge ad-free shows announcement. The premiere of Click This, the Kevin Nash podcast, is coming to ad-free shows live next Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. That's December 6th for a live watch-along of his world title match against Goldberg from Stargate. It's happening next Tuesday on adfreeshows.com. Here's the deal. All $29 level members and higher on ad-free shows will be invited to join the live watch-along event. And top guy members will get to come up and chat live with Kevin during the event. Talk to Kevin. Kevin talks to nobody. Barely talks to me and I'm his co-host. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to chat one-on-one with Kevin and watch this live watch-along next Tuesday at freeshows.com. Hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Foley is Pod. And, of course, we couldn't do it without the Hall of Famer, the hardcore legend himself, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Mick Foley. Mick, how are you, man? Good, and I couldn't do it without my favorite energy drink, the Rock's Zoa drink. White peach to the rescue. Oh, it's so good. Next week, let's try a little different flavor, though. Okay. It's good. It's really good. But he got so many delicious flavors. Uh, Zoa is not an official um, sponsor. Yep. But they could be. They could be. They could, they could be. be. Well, we're excited to be here with you guys today. It's going to be a very special edition. Uh, we got Thanksgiving in the rearview mirror now. It's holiday season. This is your prime time, man. You train all year for this month. Do you oh, know man, I'm so excited. The uh, the uh, cameos are already flooding in. Uh, we're going to perform a live cameo at the end of this project, which uh episode which we have not done in a while we have not done a live one and we're going to do one and so i'm just so excited you know the nice chill in the air and magic of christmas strangers being nice to each other for a few weeks a year it's a good feeling it is a great feeling and as a reminder you're only going to do so many of these because christmas is important for you in your real life but you yes. do want to make some smiles this holiday season so uh, get your order in early for the christmas or for the wrestling fan in your life Tell them where to go, Mick. Tell them, just go to cameo.com slash Mick Foley. Well, let's jump into it. Our topic today, Jim Cornette and your time in Smoky Mountain. Let's get in our Wayback Machine. When do you first remember seeing Jim Cornette? Not in person, but like as a fan. Did you see him on in the magazines? Did you see Ma- him? It would, have been the, it would have been the magazines first for me. Because okay. A few weeks ago, we discussed how... I did not get the Superstation. Right. I didn't get TBS. Other people on Long Island did, but Brookhaven Cable, uh, we didn't get it. We did get some world class, but we didn't. We did not get um, uh, the NWA show. So the first time I would have seen the NWA show, this is you know, they, they did ah, this even no, it's kind of right on the cusp of when tapes started being traded. So when I got into the tapes, you know, I got into the heavy, especially the All Japan stuff. That was probably my biggest influence. But I'd heard all about Cornette, seen him all over the magazines. And so the first time I saw him would have been when I started training in Freedom, Pennsylvania, just north of Pittsburgh. Like, I remember being so scared. I'd had like eight sessions with Danucci, Danucci, Dominic Danucci, my trainer, uh, when I would set up the rings ahead of the matches on Long uh, Long Island, the metropolitan area, New York's tri-state area. But uh, when I made the commitment to come down and start training, I was really scared. And I remembered watching NWA uh, wrestling for the first time 
and seeing Cornette. So I would have been 19 years old the first time I saw Corny. And you saw him in Mid-South. Did you see any of No, not Mid-South. This would have been, uh, when I say NWA, it would be what became WCW. Oh, Crockett. Yeah, gotcha. Crockett, yeah. Um, what was your first impression of Cornette as a manager? That, he was incredible. The rapid fire. I'd kind of grown up watching WWF, so I was accustomed to the the big bodies. So when I saw Condry and Eaton at first, I was like, how? You know, and that's a challenge a lot of fans face and a lot of wrestlers face when trying to win over new fans is if that if you're different what they're seeing, there can be an adjustment and sometimes a rejection. But these guys were clearly so good, even though what you saw in those studios were one sided squash matches for the most part, short, one sided. And then there'd be the interviews in ringside. So Bobby, one of the best workers, you know, the business has ever known. You talk about an underrated, I know this is not a corny group, but the Dangerous Alliance. They had Hall of Famers in uh, Arn Anderson, uh, Zabisco, Rick Rude, Steve Austin, Medusa, five Hall of Famers, Paul Heyman, a certain Hall of Famer down the road, and probably or maybe the most talented out of all of them and the one most least likely to get in the Hall of Fame, beautiful Bobby Eaton. So that was a group that was packed with talent, and they were so good. And then Corny with that rapid-fire delivery. Unbelievable. I'd heard all about them. There were no kayfabe sheets that I knew of. I think right. they were out, but I didn't know. At that time, if you didn't know, you didn't know. It wasn't right. until Brian Hildebrandt told me about it that I read my first copy of The Observer. But, yeah, I became a Cornette fan instantaneously. So what what do you think it was about Cornette that made him so entertaining? Just the delivery, or was it the whole presentation, the mama's boy and all that? Well, I think more than anything, you can feel the love for wrestling almost coming through his pores. Even when he's a heel, you can sense that this is a guy who loves what he's doing. I don't know to this day if I've ever met anyone with a quicker mind. Right. I really don't. And I've been around a lot of great comics. His mind just operates on a different level. Uh, I, I'm fairly quick. I'm not as quick as nobody. Have you ever met anybody quicker than Cornette? No, quicker he's, wit? He's really short. It's rapid fire. And I think he was an underrated announcer. Mm -hmm. Especially, I, I remember watching a little bit of the uh, Clash of the Champions from February 1990, the one where I faced Mil Mascaras. And Corny, he's just so good. Uh, so good, so regularly, because his quips would come in rapid-fire fashion, and his mind just seemed to work on a different level and still does. You mentioned him a minute ago. Brian Hildebrand, of course, is going to be a mutual friend of both you and Jim Cornette, but how do you first meet Brian? I meet Brian. Um, I was training at Danucci's, so I, got, so I was tr training before the matches starting in September of 86, we get to December of 86. That's where Danucci sits me down and he gives me the talk uh, that I've recited uh, several times in my live shows where he goes, uh, he, we did a whole session of nothing but back body drops. And those were like the premier, that was the highlight of almost every baby face's comeback. Yes. The culmination, the back body drop. Uh, don't get me off. Don't get me started about why anyone would bend over. As, why would you bend over when the only move that comes as a, on account of bending over is a back body drop? 
if you don't see a lot of back body drops in your matches and they're not sold like a killer move, absolutely no reason to bend over when nothing good comes of it, right? Yes. So that's just one of my little things. If you're going to bend over, you have to explain storytelling-wise why bending over is a good risk to take. And the only way, the only answer is because the back body drop is such a great move that you would be willing to take that chance. They, some people might think that's nitpicking, but to me, that's the difference between having a good spectacular match and a match that people can lose themselves in. Is is a story that makes sense structurally. So I've just taken like 30 of these backdrops, and the only way to learn to take a good back body drop is by taking a lot of bad back body drops. Mm almost every one of which will knock the wind out of you. Uh, and so Danucci sits me down. He goes, Amiki, my boy, he goes, today I give you 27 backdrop, and you never complain. Every time I see you, I beat the shit out of you, which was true. Not, not in an abusive way, but in an instilling respect for the business type of way. And he goes, my boy is the first compliment he ever gave me. It wasn't a back patter. So when he gave me that first compliment, it was a big one. He goes, my boy, you have a ball <laughs> this big. And that's when he told me about the guys he was training in freedom. Shane Douglas would be the primary student, but there were a handful of other hardworking, talented guys. And I started going down to freedom. Uh, so I got there, I think, in uh, January of 87. And I had my first match in June of 87, or June of 86, I'm sorry. So I started going to the, the, started going in fall, I started training in fall of 85, started going to Danucci's in January of 86, met Brian right after my first match, which was June of 86, at which point he started coming to Danucci's school. And it was like having a second trainer there because he was so good, he was so, he was like, had an encyclopedic knowledge of, of wrestling, loved the history of it, loved Mid-South, had formed the, uh, the Friendship Cornette uh, as fans. And I mean, to Brian's dying day, Corny was one of his, uh, his very best very friends. Very best friends, yeah. Well, you wrote in your book about the first time you met Jim, it's late 89 for WCW, I spotted Jim Cornette, whose eyes lit up when he saw me. Brian Hildebrand was a mutual friend of ours, and as a result, Corny came over and hugged me like he'd known me mm -hmm. all his life. Goddamn cactus, it's good to meet you, you crazy son of a gun. <laughs> hey, I've been trying to throw your name around as part of a tag team with Tony Anthony, who's a hell of a talker. We dress you up with weird stuff sticking everywhere, make Brian your manager, call you guys the wild things. Yeah. Pretty nice worked. little... Would have worked. It would. I mean, it was clearly, that would have been a lower, lower middle of the card gig which is what i ended up with anyway but it's just uh, awesome to know that i was you've got an advocate yeah i sure did and to this day corny continues to be an advocate and it's he doesn't agree with everything i do right i don't agree with everything he says but there's a you know that mutual respect means you can disagree sometimes yeah and i went on i made an appeal uh, on the show saying corny should be god why doesn't he just join six-week run in AEW. It would be Wouldn't awesome. Wouldn't it be majestic? It'd be awesome. Heat, the likes of which he hasn't, you know, nobody's seen since the, the mid-'80s, probably. I think it's a shame that his stuff with the NWA came to an end. Can you imagine how much fun he would be having right now just oh. stirring it up? And and the, the, the joke he said was pretty mild, and it's something that he had used many. I think he was the only guy who could walk through, you know, 
the, the wilds of Africa wearing Ethiopia. A ham- Ethiopia wearing a, a bucket of chicken on his back. Oh, okay. I, sometimes it was the hamburger underwear. The idea is, is I, I understood. He's that it to tough. Be. It wasn't a race joke. It no. was a I can. I'm going to fight these dudes off. And Nobody's because mess with me. so even as hungry as they may be, they're not going to mess. With they're me. not going to mess with you. He's that tough. Yes. Uh, I hate that it happened. I hate that it happened. I'm a believer in apologies. Yes. Like even the, the 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 that horribly racist rant the young lady went off at um, was it Kentucky? Oh, it was the worst example of. Uh, did you see it, Grillo? Beautiful young lady, obviously oh, yes. inebriated. Re- yeah, oh yeah, my news, God! And she yeah, yeah. she runs off the string of n words. The likes, yes. you know, and her and her life's kind of over because of yes. it, you know. I mean, I think that's a teachable moment. And something everybody can learn from. She's a college age person. Uh, yeah, who got drunk. And uh, if you say, say, all right, uh, you know, you're, lowers your inhibitions, and maybe she's that racist anyway. Probably using the word that freely through that word or heard that word, and in, in and with her inhibitions lowered, threw it around at an appalling rate. Any any use of the word yes. is appalling. But this was really, really out there. But. I don't know if any of us is beyond redemption. There you go. I don't think any of us is beyond redemption, whether that's uh, spiritual, religious, or social. Like, uh, I'm a believer in second chances, and I've said some stupid, stupid stuff over the years. Nothing like that. And I was never a user of the N-word, but I've said some stuff I regret. And, I, and I've apologized to people 40 years after the fact. Apologized yeah. to my English teacher uh, two years ago for saying something that uh, hurt his feelings that he overheard me saying. We say and do stupid stuff when we're younger. Um, it just, But I believe corny, you know, a sincere apology and a vow not to make the same mistake again should have been good enough. I think he probably felt like, hey, at this point, I don't have to do this. Yeah. I'm doing you guys a He favor. hates to travel, right? Like I, yeah. If they ran all of their shows in Louisville, maybe. Uh, but yeah. without that, probably not. So we can probably queue up Corny talking about Dr. Death, Steve Williams, and the same hamburger undies. The same idea. That yes. You can walk, but you are so tough that you can walk by a group of hungry people. And with an not, abundance of food, and they won't bat They won't mess you with you because you're that tough. Yeah. Yeah. I just, uh, I love Mason Cornette as a manager on camera. I think he's just phenomenal. He right. Um, you would continue in your book. Just then, Jim Ross came into view. Although no longer part of the booking committee, Ross was still WCW's play-by-play man. He was taking a break between two tapings. He spotted me, walked over with less than full enthusiasm, and gave me a quick, Cactus Jack, are you still alive? Before heading into the dressing room. Needless to say, it was not quite the greeting I'd been hoping for. A minute later, Ross reappeared with Booker and five-time world champ Ric Flair. Hello, how are you, sir? He said for the first time. Suddenly, Ross, who I thought had just blown me off, was singing my praises to the nature boy. Rick, this is Cactus Jack. He's a hell of a worker, a hell of a talker, and takes some great bumps. Cornette was next to give me a glowing testimonial. Rick, you've got to see this guy. You'll love him. Maybe you could put him under a hood for just one match. Take a look at how he bumps for one of our top guys. Flair took it all in before asking, what are you doing in two weeks? I was tongue-tied for a moment before using my much-heralded mic skills to say, um, nothing? 
if Larry Nodham said, come back in two weeks, we'll have TV again, and I'll take a look at you. How about that? Cornette Incredible. And JR. Incredible to have that opportunity. Look, you know, the little troubles I have with Rick are pretty well documented. But I think I even said in the first book, first of all, I'll never forget it. It was Ric Flair who brought me in. I'll never forget that he went out of his way for free to participate in a special show for Brian Hildebrandt, in which he presented Brian with a, a replica of the NWA championship. That's still such an honor that it was Rick who came over, talked to me, gave me that opportunity, and ultimately hired me. Uh, so the only thing I can compare it to is that when I was doing a signing uh, for uh, Coliseum Video, uh, I think in 1999, before WWE had their own brand, right. they worked with Coliseum Home Video, and I would see these scantily clad women uh, wandering around once in a while. And so when Hillbilly Jim, who was the rep that dealt with Coliseum, came over, I said, Jim, what is with the, the women? And he goes, son, they're from the adult annex. Yes. And I said, the adult annex, what's that? He goes, son, it's like a whole different world over there. Would you like to take a look? And I said, yeah, I, w I would. So I walk over, and at the time, Janine Lindermuller was just known as Janine. 10 out of 10. Be most beautiful woman in the adult arts. And they allow me to cut her long line. And just as I get up there, this crazed fan comes over and says, do you have any idea who this is? This is Mick Foley. He can do anything. He did this. He did that. He did that. Walks away. And I said, well, who was that? And she goes, oh, he owns the company. So it's a similar thing where I've got Jim Ross is now yes. playing the role of the owner of whatever video establishment it was. And then Janine says to me, oh, we wrestle? I said, yeah. And she goes, which company do you wrestle for? I said, uh, WWE. And she goes, oh, I don't let my son watch that because of the suck it. And I said, as a matter of fact, I don't let my son watch you either. And, and <laughs> that is an all-time conversation. Grillo, roll the fucking credits. We will not beat that. I don't let my son watch you, you either. either. <laughs> my goodness. And then, uh, did was, she laugh? Yeah, she did. And her uh, cohort, Julia Ann, was uh, like uh, Janine's uh, partner of choice. Because Janine at that time just did uh, female yes. scenes. And uh, Julia Ann, who's still stunning, right? She came out and she's like, uh, Janine's, uh, as I was leaving, she goes, Janine's uh, having a birthday party for her son. And it gave me the number and I couldn't make it. But the first thing I did, I don't know if he wants me saying this, but I think I may have written about it. I called Scotty Tuhati who was a connoisseur of the adult arts at that time. Uh, and just said, do you know who just invited me to the child's birthday party? So that was a rush. And it, so Jim, that incident with Jim, Ric Flair, Jimmy Cornette reminded me of the Janine incident. I love doing this podcast <laughs> with you. Only you would compare Ric Flair, Jim Ross, and Jim Cornette to Julia Ann, the owner of a porn company, and Janine. I was, uh, I was hoping this story ended with, and then I got a shot at the title. It didn't happen. Man, what a story. I do find it interesting. You, you look at, we've talked about this a lot on the show. Your introduction and your signing with the WWE 
it's Jim Ross and Jim Cornette who really go to bat for you. Yeah. When you boycott and don't go to Raw the Monday night after Survivor Series 97, three people call. Vince McMahon, but first, Jim Ross and Jim, and Jim Cornette. Cornette. Yeah. And then even when you're landing a gig here with WCW, it's Jim Ross and Jim Cornette. I can't painting to Ric Flair. Jim Ross and Jim Cornette, boy, they, they're... Those are two pretty heavy hitters yeah. to have on your side. Yeah. And especially, uh, we talked about this a little bit last week, and hopefully I'm not jumping ahead um, here, but uh, Corny and Kevin Sullivan, Corny explained to me that uh, there were a couple of people who, who were in charge of the winners. No one ever booked the losers. Right. So this was uncharted territory, and they had free reign. They came up with this idea, and I just, it's so... It's so intelligent that I can't believe it hasn't been cherry-picked in the last 30 Can you 30, tell the story? story is that, um, you know, when I... Uh, and this is one of my favorite stories to tell live. I won't perform it, because that's part of the fun of doing yes. out there. Yes. You tell stories here. Yes. And, it's, and in some ways, it's it's more real, because you're not performing the stories. I don't but, mean to cut your story off, but I do want to remind you that if you're looking for a good cut, <laughs> Henson shaving is uh, the way to go. I know that I just irritated you with me cutting off uh, Mick, but I'm trying to avoid a nick for Mick. No cuts, no irritation, and no lousy subscriptions. I'm talking about Henson Shaving. Henson Shaving is a family-owned aerospace parts manufacturer. Think about this, guys. They made parts for the ISS, the International Space Station, and Mars Rover, and now they're bringing that same precision engineering to your doggone face for the shaving experience. You see, razor blades are like diving boards. The longer the board, the more the wobble. And the more the wobble, the more the nicks, the more the cuts, the more the scrapes. A bad shave, you see, isn't a blade problem. It's an extension problem. But by using this aerospace-grade CNC machine, Henson makes metal razors that extend just 0.0013 inches. That's less than a human hair, y'all. Think about how tiny that is. That means it's a secure and stable blade, and it's going to give you a vibration-free shave. It gets better. This, rave also, this razor also has built-in channels to evacuate hair and cream, which makes clogging virtually impossible. Seriously, Henson Shaving wants to make the best razor, not the best razor business. Now, what does that mean? It means no plastic. It means no gimmicky subscriptions. It means no proprietary blades and no planned obsolescence. The Henson Razor works with a standard dual-edged blade to give you that old-school shave, but with the benefits of new-school tech. Once you own a Henson razor, it's only 3 to $5 a year to replace the blades. And I love mine. I know Mick's going to love his. I just got to hold him down and use it first. Yeah. But the affordability, buddy, how do you beat $5 a year for blades? It's time to say no to subscriptions and yes to a razor that will last you a lifetime. Visit HensonShaving.com forward slash Foley to pick the razor for you and use the promo code Foley. And you'll get two years worth of blades free with your razor. Just make sure to add them to your card. That's free, 100 free blades. You hear me? That's 100 free blades when you go to H-E-N-S-O-N-S-H-A-V-I-N-G.com forward slash Foley and use the promo code Foley. Hensonshaving.com forward slash Foley. So you, you see Kevin Sullivan two weeks later. You come back Just to the thinking, TV taping. Speaking of beards, it's beginning of December. If you have a bearded someone and they're looking to improve their beard game. Mythicalbeards.com, the full Yeti scent. I swear by it. I use it three, four times a week. 
and love it. Everybody does. Everybody does. It's good stuff. It really is. So yeah. uh, I noticed that when I would be at conventions, I handed out the business cards. I would give people a sample. Uh, the owner called up. He goes, what did you do? He's, uh, you know, uh, uh, order just shot up because it kind of speaks for itself. It's it really does. a nice scent. I really enjoy it. And I use it. Mythicalbeards.com. And now Cornette. Let me. Yeah, so two weeks later, as instructed, Ric yeah. Flair has you come back to TV. You go, right. you meet Kevin Sullivan. I meet Kevin, and I, I go there, and I see my name on the board tagging up with uh, Rick Fargo, who's not exactly a household name, against the Steiner Brothers. And I believed that I was going to get a tryout match where somebody else was going to enhance my talents. Right. And I'm looking at this. Clearly, I'm the enhancement guy. And I get this, like, sinking feeling in my stomach. I think we've all had that. Your heart feels to go down in your gut. Momentarily contemplated quitting the wrestling business. Really did. Just walking out. And then I heard Kevin Sullivan say, brother, what's your finish? And I didn't, I wasn't expecting that, right? Finish? finish. I didn't think I was getting any offense, right. yet, let alone a finishing move. And so I just blurted out, I drop an elbow? And he looks at me and goes, brother, you drop an elbow for a finish? That's a weak-sounding elbow if you don't know that it's an elbow off the ring apron onto the concrete floor. And that's where Corny came in. He sang those praises. He just, God damn, Kevin, you got to see this elbow. There's nothing like it. His body just goes flying. You can hear it splattering on the concrete floor. God damn. And Sullivan looks at me. He doesn't sell Cornette. He doesn't <laughs> blink an eye. He doesn't smile. But he just goes, brother, he said... I don't care what Ricky or Scotty do to you. I don't care how badly they hurt you. After that match is over, I want to see you drop that elbow on your partner. And Kevin and Jimmy had come up with this idea where after matches, I would turn on my partner, lay them out, and it was such... It worked. Yes. It had never been done before. I'm not saying it was top of the card stuff, but it was interesting. We had never seen and never, anything for an enhancement. Anything like, like that. And it was fun. Fans got with it. I mean, I was so scared that night. I hyperventilated. I had never done that before. I've gotten nervous. I've lost my wind quickly. But never felt anything like that, where my heart was beating so fast. It was like I couldn't breathe, even though I'd only been there like 30 seconds. It was all emotional. Because you knew this is it. This is it. This is my chance to get out of the... How old do you think you were at the time? I was... This is a... Uh, Eight, I was 23. 23 years old. Uh, 24. You 89. told us last week that you sort of made a promise to yourself. Yeah. If I get to 26 and I'm not making a living, i got to try something I've got to try something else. So this was coming in a, about a year and a half before that uh, self-described. Uh, Your self-imposed <laughs> Yeah, self-imposed exile. That's what I was looking for, self-imposed exile. And, uh, yeah, there's, Rick and Scott, you know, they worked snug. You know, so you felt that stuff. But when it was over, man, I I, I dropped the elbow of a lifetime. Not of a lifetime, but a Of your long, lifetime at that point. Yeah, long elbow, long. Actually thought to myself when I got up in that apron, oh, I'm never going to make it. He was out there about 17, 18 feet. Uh, and uh, I thought the only thing worse than coming up short is actually hopping off the apron and moving him in. You can't do that. Yeah. And so, man, I just I threw it out there, and I've said on the shows it might be an exaggeration to call it a flag elbow, 
Doggone, it was the greatest extended flying hand ever delivered. I love so it. in midair, I'm like, I'm not going to make it. Boom! Right across his heart. And the building, actually, it actually shook. And that's not an exaggeration because when I was at the NWA show as a favor for Billy Corgan, who'd helped me out a few months earlier, somebody did a move on the floor and I felt the ground shake. So, And Cornette was at the Sportatorium when Gordy powerbombed me on the wood floor and he said he felt the floor shake then. So it does happen. And when I walked to the back, man, it was just, it just was like a gauntlet of some of the biggest stars of that era and Buff Bagwell. <laughs> the thing is, I love that is Buff wasn't even there for another year and no. a half, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't right? matter. It doesn't matter. Some of the biggest stars that are and Buff Bagwell, nobody said a word, and then Double A just stepped right in front of me, looked at me, and said, Son, you just don't have any sense. And I realized who I'm talking to. I said, No, Mr. Anderson, I don't have any dollars. He said, "Point taken," and um, I what, got the I got the gig. I got story, the gig. Dude. What yeah. a story! I, uh, I, I as we're sitting here thinking about what happened in your career after that, I'm not going to say he deserves all the credit because I do believe that eventually, like the Macho Man would remind us, cream rises to the top. But man, so much of this might not have happened without Cornell, right? Yeah. Uh, I might have come, but if I'd come in in a traditional fashion, say they gave me a few wins, it would not have meant as much. Yeah. I was able to make an impact and come across, it was different. And even when I left, because, you know, Ole came in and I'm not here to, you know, demean Ole, because that, in the long run, that was the best thing that could have happened to me. Otherwise, I would have had a good little run, eventually would have turned on Sullivan. Sullivan really liked me, and so, you know, we joined forces, me, him, and Buzz Sawyer. Buzz broke his wrist in half on live TV, and then it was me and Kevin. I probably would have turned on him, or he would have turned on me. People were getting with it, especially when Kevin, you know, had the book he wanted me to bring, and so that every time he looked for the tag, I'd be caught up reading a book. This is great stuff, right? Yes. And he browbeat me, slapped me around. It would have run its course, and it would have been a nice run, but I wouldn't have. Uh, but by leaving when I did, I was able to come back with a much bigger push. I had that like 15 months of independent work where I, you know, I vowed to come back as a better version, a more serious version. And when I did, I came back on top working with Sting. And so, you know, uh, there was some, you know, some disappointments and the frustration of what we all perceived of being a glass ceiling there. But still, I, I made, you know, the 150K for three years. I put a, uh, I was saving some money. I put a, uh, had a roof over my family's head. I had children and um, it all worked out in the end. But I don't know how it would have worked out if I'd gotten a different chance or maybe no chance at all without Corny singing my praises. It's just remarkable to think about, you know, how it all could have been so different. Um, you wrote about this uh, in your uh, book. You're talking about the first Clash of the Champions, I think you were on. Yeah. As much as uh, I wish it weren't true, my first tent in WCW spanning late November 89 through mid-June 90 will best be remembered for my February 10th match at Clash of the Champions. Unfortunately, I hated the match and considered it one of the biggest letdowns of my career. For years, however, it was the most frequently thing talked about of my career, so I'll at least try to touch on it. Uh, do you want to just catch us up to... Yeah, um, 
Yeah, this is where I disagreed with WCW because I think it was uh, it wasn't for Cinco de Mayo. That's in May, but it was Corpus Christi, uh, a strong uh, Hispanic, market. Hispanic market, and they decided to bring in Mil Mascaras. Uh, and Corny's the one who breaks that news to you. Corny breaks the news, hey, and he thinks it's going to be great. Yes. And I'm like, ooh, man. And I know Mascaras is a certifiable legend, bigger star globally than I, I ever was. But I'd also seen him work in world class, and I felt like he was he wasn't a giver. You know, that he was going to get in his stuff. At that, at that point, he was older. That's all he really wanted to do. Uh, and I did not know that how to have a good match with him. Like, Al Perez couldn't have a good match. Now it was a heck of a hand. Um, so it was. I Al was, Perez is, uh, for people who don't know, he's Seth Rollins' father, illegitimately. No, just kidding. Okay, but he looks like him, right? Looks identical. Be, yeah. yeah. But Al was super smooth. He had a great body. Like, he was a real great technician. He wouldn't put people over, though. Right. And that was really, that's the silliness of not, but you're costing yourself a job because you don't want to hurt your job. So you're going to not hurt your job by losing your job yes. because you won't put over the champion. Yes. Just dumb. Dumb to me. And especially, and I was there when guys would walk out of dressing rooms because they did two weeks in Japan. And they wouldn't want to lose because uh, photography. I, I lost all the time. And I did uh, pretty well. But anyway, I, I knew that it was tough to have a good match. And I like to have good matches. And... Uh, my hopes were up because Mill, I think he missed his flight on purpose. If you want to catch a later flight, uh, I was set to do a singles match with Rick Fargo, who would have gladly put me over. So the idea is just to catch everybody up. You're supposed to be working Mill Mascaris. You, you you think, or Cornette thinks, when he breaks the news to you, you'd be thrilled. Right. But instead, when you don't get, or he doesn't get some sort of enthusiastic response, he asks, what's wrong with that? And you just cut straight to it. And you say... Masker sucks, and the match is going to suck. <laughs> and then you ask, as you explain, in my dealings, I found him to be selfish, redundant, and lousy. Those are your words in the book. Yeah, yeah. You're right. Yeah. Jimmy, or you ask him, Jimmy, why is he coming in? And Cornette lets you know, ah, oh, it's just a couple shows in the Texas border towns. So it does feel like... As much as he's helped you out, he occasionally has given you some bad news, and this maybe he was all he he was sometimes given he was sometimes the bearer of bad news. Yeah. So I like in you know bringing Mill for uh, that's great to try to increase uh, the crowd a little bit, but in the end, you're taking a guy who you're trying to push, having lose to someone who's not going to be on again, somewhat akin to, to what I thought saw as a short sightedness of making the Omni in Atlanta the priority when Bill Watts came in to yes. turn the Omni into the Madison Square Garden of the South. And so you'd have guys cutting promos about the Omni on live national television, which to me made it look like a regional promotion. Yeah. Uh, but that was the, the on their list. The Omni was more important than those other aspects. And I guess in this case, building up that house in Corpus Christi was more important than the television product. Uh, so I, I, I realized that was quite a challenge. Forget all the company okay. stuff. From your perspective, your career is going pretty well here. Yeah. And now this is going to be my most watched match ever, and I'm going to be wrestling a guy who I know is going to make sure I look less than. Right. He's going to make sure he he did his hip tosses and he he was a great he was a great worker. He still I mean, in his day. Let, you know, got over everywhere he went, whether or not, whether and he got over in places that it was not based on the Hispanic market. You know, he had a unique look, great body, 
uh, great looking mask, uh, Mil Mascaras, great name. Uh, but he was older and he didn't care about having good matches. And at that time, that was my priority. I wanted to have good matches and I didn't think I could have one with Mill. He probably wasn't the type of guy who was going to come over and say, what would you like to do tonight? No, yeah, not at all. Matter of fact, he only got there about 20 minutes before we went on. So when he's late to the building, they start to make backup plans. And yeah. that's when you think maybe you're going to be wrestling Fargo, right? Mm-hmm. Which would mean you're getting a win on the Clash of the Champions. Right, right. Drop that big elbow. Rare win because I was just coming off, you know, about 10 weeks. Uh, there was that interruption. Well, I actually didn't miss any TV time when I got the big car accident. Uh, about a hundred stitcheroonies in the in the foley body, bot, front teeth were knocked out, but did not miss any time. I'm proud of that. Didn't miss any matches, uh, but a, a win on TV would have been big, especially on Clash of the Champions. You you wrote in your book that you gave Cornette a heads up about the big bump you had planned. Were you going to do that with Fargo, or would no. it have been an elbow? No, it would have been the elbow. But I figure as long as I'm going to be in a a losing effort that I figure, even this, like, there's a baby face tinge to it. I, I I thought, hey, if I can look like somebody by kicking out of anything after that, that's what people will remember. And that got the extent. Well, uh, the, the smartness of you so early in your career, really. I mean, you understood. And I guess, you know, the old adage is it's not who goes over, but who gets over. Yeah. Nobody's going to remember this random right. Mill Mascaris win at the Clash of the Champions, but everybody will remember the Nesty plunge. Exactly. Yes. And I no, I wasn't getting, I wasn't going to get over by sandbagging my right. guys, making their stuff look bad. I'm going to put their stuff over. Yes. Uh, but I'm going to hopefully. I always believed that I could. I did believe that I could get over while putting other people over. Uh, if the match was strong and I got to do so, and I got to showcase what I could do and a little bit of my personality. He called the drop kick the drop kiss. The drop, drop kiss. Granted, his English is a lot better than my Spanish. Yes. Como te portaste este año? Which means, have you behaved this year? I speak Santa Spanish. Oh, I got you. I don't speak Spanish. I speak Santa Spanish, which I only learned through constant repetition. There you go. Uh, but yes, yeah, so his his English is better than my Spanish, but it was a drop kiss. Yes. Do you before you do a big bump like this? Do you go and talk to a guy like Jackie Crockett and say, "Here's what I'm going to do," and give yeah, him a head? Yeah, up because so Jackie uh, uh, took what I had done in world class, which was encourage a video bomb Bob von Gursky to get the low angle shot. Yes, I felt like the over the shoulder shot was missing out on the. He was throwing the depth perception off. So, for example, did you see uh, when Logan Paul drops the elbow yes. on, um, he looks, well, that's count. That's actually a high angle shot where he does look impossibly high. So that's going against my own argument. But the low camera shot was what I was looking for. And Video Bob was able to get that when I brought it to Jackie Crockett. He was the guy who put the shake of the camera in. So not only did it look like I was sailing into your living room, but actually that the floor was shaking. So in this case, yeah, he was he was going to get the good camera shot. Not a lot of guys went around and talked to uh, camera cameramen about their shots at that time. Now it's a given that the producers in WWE do that, and that's part of the reason why they never or rarely ever miss a big move. And if they do miss it, they've got it on another camera ready to go. But that was seen as being ahead of its time. 
guys that I knew of did not do that. It's uh, such a memorable spot. I mean, it's the first memory I have of your entire career as a fan, just being like, what just happened? Jack is, Jack is dead! And boy, it's really amplified. Cornette is on commentary and he yells, Cactus Jack is dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the greatest calls you wrote in your book you've ever heard. As I lay there stunned, two replays showed the sickening bump while Ross and Corny both agreed that the match, if not my career, was over. When the camera came back to me, I was on my knees struggling to get back in the ring. Cornette went back in action and dramatically yelled, no human being could get up after that, but Cactus Jack is doing it. Man, he's... Uh, Thereby making me in that yes. match. Along with, uh, along with Jim Ross, they are making me the star of that match. In a losing effort. In a losing effort. In a lopsided losing effort. Like, yeah. there's no... I think there was a few forearms across the back, but it was basically the... I think Corny said something about uh, Mills setting an indoor record for most hip tosses. Yes. Uh, so it was a lopsided squash match, which I somehow... Not somehow which I came out of as the star of because of Corny and Jim Ross. How many nesty plunges do you think you've taken by that point? At that point? This is the first one on TV for WCW, First right? one on TV. I've probably done 10 of them in the Memphis area at Memphis time, probably three in, two to three in world-class and uh, maybe one uh, on the Indies before that. So this is probably what, do the math, 15th, 16th time. Now, when I did it in Memphis, the issue was, this is going back in time, where um, Robert Fuller was one of the guys who believed in me, made me feel like my opinion was worth something. And uh, he had told me when he saw me take that nasty plunge at a spot show, 25 bucks uh, that it would be best to reserve that bump for a special occasion and he was having his first match with Jeff Jarrett which was a big issue and he was like oh Greco I don't know what to do I don't want to bleed down to my shoes the first night we're in the ring and he asked me if I had any ideas I said Rob this might be a good spot for that uh, that that bump and he hears me out, and I and he goes with the idea, which made me feel like a million bucks because Robert Fuller was a great idea man. Yes, really great idea man. And so, I, and it had, Dave Meltzer was at that match with some of the, uh, I think they had like a wrestling fans road trip, and he was there at that match. Uh, so that when I went off the, uh, went off the ring apron, you know, there was that sickening thud. Uh, Robert ducks Jarrett's loaded. Jarrett got Robert's loaded boot. Takes a swing, Robert ducks, hits me, off I go, boom, uh, big puddle of blood, scary sight, and wow, it was uh, it was dynamite. And now Louisville runs a week behind, and so eight days later, same thing, Jacko, same thing, Rob. So actually, we we hit it in Memphis on Monday. Nashville on Saturday, so there's two bumps. Now uh, Louisville is now my third bump in eight days, and after that, my lower back starts swelling up grotesquely. Like two thirds of my back is turning uh, shades of blue and purple, and we get to Evansville. Draco, same thing, and I said, I don't think I can take that bump tonight. And he sat there and he goes, It's probably a good idea. Man's only got so many bumps in his body. There's not a lot of people out there. 
mind. And then he reiterated again that it would be good to hold on to that one, which I did. But the uh, the one I took in world class, the one I remember, I say there were two, but I the one I remember is when I uh, wanted to take five, six days off to see my family for the holidays. Hadn't seen, been home in 10 months. Uh, Eric Embry came up to me, told me nobody deserved it more because he heard I was going to New York. Oh. And I said, oh, no, I'm going to visit my mom and dad. He thought I was <laughs> going to work for Vince. Going to work for Vince. And I thought, instead of just taking time off, there's got to be a reason. got to right. be a reason. And so we do the bump, and there was a little internal uh, coughing up of some legit blood. And, uh, and then, as fate would have it, instead of going out and driving away at the end of the show, I didn't want people to see me after the show. You know, you protected those type of uh, situations. So I went up to what they call the crow's nest for two hours and watched the first class of Chris Adams Wrestling Academy or school and saw uh, Steve... Young Steve Williams. How about that? Isn't that incredible? Yeah. And I was aware that he had it from the first time I saw him out there. So, I uh, I just love hearing about you know these NST plunges and and the early days of WCW, especially knowing that it all ties back into Cornette. Yeah. Uh, you're actually traveling with Cornette and the Midnight Express here. Oh yeah. Uh, which at the time is Sweet Stan Lane and Beautiful Bobby. Uh, you're an old school wrestling fan. Are you a Condry guy or a Stan guy? I saw Stan first, so that's, I did the, too. that's the one. Well, that I, I didn't see Stan first, but Stan was smoother, looked better, and Bobby was so good that you. I don't think Dennis was missed, and I love Dennis. Worked with him and drove with him quite a bit when I was in Continental, but I, I think I was a Stan guy. Dennis Condry is probably the most underrated wrestler of that era, though. It feels like lately, in the last few decades, people have come around and really understood how great Bobby yeah. Eaton and Arn Anderson were. Yeah, I still don't feel people talk probably about Dennis not. Condry that way. But God, because I was cool. I was at a convention, um, maybe it was in Jackson, Mississippi, with Bobby and Dennis. And Dennis, I think, was he speaking out of the voice box yeah. at that point? Yeah. And it just hurt me to see that the current fans didn't know who they were. It's tremendous. It really, it, we know what's crazy, Conrad, is that... He lives around here, you know. Dennis Condry lives uh, like a mile from my parents. Does he really? Yeah, North Alabama. And Dennis, I didn't know until later on, he was not a shooter, but a hooker. Yes. And somebody could hurt people really badly in a hurry, especially in bar situations. And those are the things you don't know. Right. You know, you don't look at this guy, oh man, he could break my, you know, you don't know. Yeah. Um, but he was one of those guys with those heralded um, heralded bar fighting skills. Not talking about a guy who throws a looping overhand right hand, but a guy who can grab you, break your thumb. Thumbs, yeah, yeah. yeah, all that type of <laughs> cool wrestling stuff. Um, but I, I, I did. I did like Stan. Uh, I like Stan. I like driving with those guys. And for them to make room for me as the fourth guy. It's pretty cool. In a, and this is the Ford... Um, the Taurus? The Taurus. It was a Taurus. So it's a full size, but it's not a luxury automobile. So you're taking Bobby or Stan, who would normally have the backseat to themselves, tell them to share it with this guy, you know, and uh, they could not have been nicer to me, you know. And then again, this is me realizing what it feels like to be treated well by big stars and vowing that if I ever get in their position, I'm going to try to pay it back that way, give it, pay it forward. Who's the wheel man? 
Corny's the wheel man. And he doesn't drink, so that works out. Yeah, he doesn't. So Bobby and Stan uh, doing the time-honored tradition of a cooler in the car. Bobby was a cooler guy for sure. Yeah. A Bobby was a cooler guy for sure. I'm not sure about Stan. The purchase that I remember Stan making is the... Let me read it. There we go. <laughs> Stan was the ultimate bachelor, and even traveling with me didn't seem to tarnish his image with the ladies. <laughs> One night, I saw Stan opening his door, carrying about 10 jumbo-sized bottles of baby oil, and I didn't have to rack my brain to figure out what was going on in Stan's room that night. Actually, I never had to use my mind to figure out figure it out. A drinking glass pressed to my ear, held against the wall, usually told the tale rather explicitly. That's right. I just love this idea of the visual of you with a glass to your ear. My goodness. You can almost hear the sliding of the baby oil. And, uh, yeah, you could all, you know, the slippery. Uh, was uh, was she putting them over? Big time. There you go. A big time. And I'm just wondering, I'm doing the math now. Did, uh, there's rumor out there. Oh, Lord have mercy. We don't need to go there, right? You don't think that that could be. Was Maybe. I was I listening in at the conception of Representative Lauren Boebert? We'll never know. What we do know is that if Stan Lane had it, he'd have gone through a bunch of blue chew back then. <laughs> he was swatting them off left and right. The nights are getting longer, but the breeze isn't the only thing getting stiff. This episode is sponsored by Blue Chew. Guys, we all know that confidence can take you far in life. That's especially true in the bedroom, especially when it's time to step up to the plate. And that's where Blue Chew comes in. We like to call it... A hot tag for your wiener, Daddy. Ow! Have mercy! Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable form and at a fraction of the cost. <laughs> and you... Action Jackson just took a dive. <laughs> <laughs> and you can take them any time, day or night. So you can be ready whenever a plan. Oh, shit. I don't know what we're doing. Guys, you know what to do. Go to bluechew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers. Once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. If you're not watching this on YouTube, you're missing out. The best part, it's all done online. No awkward visits, no awkward conversations, no waiting in line at the pharmacy. The tablets are made right here in the USA. They're prepared and shipped directly to your door, just like a couple of jumbo-sized baby oils. I'll get it. It's all in a discreet package, but there won't be anything discreet about your package, Danny. So if you can benefit, what are we doing? With extra confidence when it's time to perform, chew it and do it. Have better sex, y'all. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free. When you use our promo code Foley at checkout, just pay $5 shipping. That's BlueChew.com. The promo code is Foley to receive your very first month free. Visit BlueChew.com for more details and important safety information. And we thank BlueChew for sponsoring the podcast. I, uh, I wonder, I ask myself, I say, self, self, how are we getting paid for doing this? Just sitting back it's here and making fun, wiener right? jokes like. I'm uh, paid to do this. Last week I got a swag bag from Whataburger. Now Wiener jokes. I get to be do. I get to live out the character I created when I was 18, and now it's almost 40 years later. And, and now Grillo, can I get you on an assignment to look up the birth date of Representative Bobert and oh see? My gosh, we'll do the wrestling math and see if it's possible. I could have had uh, my ear to the glass. Oh, did you just Hulk up when you did it? A little bit. Yeah, I had the. When you so, do that, I'm not sure. Is that 
Terry Gordy about to punch me? Yeah. <laughs> Are we Boom! Trying, are we trying to listen to one so of those? So, just uh, for people wondering the difference between real fight, real fighting, and what we do, MMA, boxing, power punch, boom! Right here to here, not so in wrestling. We go here to here to here, and boom! That's how we do it. Little okay. razzle dazzle. December nineteenth, nineteen eighty six. Ah, this is way. All right, okay, no, so, math doesn't work. So right. we've debunked that myth. Debunked that well, myth. I was not listening in. Ran, a young Randy Orton could have been listening in for the conception of my first child because he was on that tour of the Caribbean uh, in um, Aruba uh, with his dad. And uh, so I'm so proud of the fact I teamed up with Randy's dad, right? Like we were an actual tag team. And that Did he night, have the cast on? <laughs> he may have. St- I can't remember. He's still. Mike Sharp wore his his brace to his dying day, and that's yeah. a character for another time, another place. Uh, but you ever yeah, shower with Mike? The three hour showers. Yes. Mickey, my son, he takes a three hour shower. Yeah, he does. So I think to this day, to this day, I think my Iron Mike could have been on the spectrum, you know, knowing some of the things oh, sure, that sure. we know now. The three hour, you what know, what does Mickey do in a three hour shower? Or do I even want to ask? He, I don't know, but it's tough to get him in there. But when he 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 comes out, he three hours. Yeah, he takes that long shower, brother. And he's like I said, I can't wait to have him here because he's. Ah, he, you can see the way I talk about him. Yeah. Just, oh, man, just love that kid. I love all my children, obviously. We'll make sure that we've got um, some smoked turkeys, a couple smoked hams. <laughs> you won't touch it, man. He, was at a, he had a conundrum because he did not he did not want to eat uh, animal protein because he didn't want to hurt animals. This is when he was yes. a child. But he also didn't eat any vegetables. So he had that really limited diet for a while, PB&J and, and pizza like and, and dairy products. And uh, But now he's found some other ways, and he has the Foley children going from what you saw in, in uh, Holy Foley, incredible transformations. Huey went from being 5'6 and 2'10 to being 6'4 and a solid 175. Wow. Right, just and Mickey, you know, he's a he's he, you know, he he's about 30 pounds lighter than he was 7 or 8 years ago, 8 9 inches taller. So they're unbelievable. They're doing great these kids. Yeah. My son, he's youngest, he's got a his lowest grade in college is a 96 average. So that's his low grade. Wow. So he's a real go-getter. Um, and so I'm proud of all my kids, but the Mickey will be with me. Huey might as well. I don't think Huey's as likely to come with me, but I think Mickey will make the ride. we got to work on that. Well, let's talk about Corning a little bit. You you, uh, you traveled with him on the road. What was that like? You uh, hit any drive-thrus? <sighs> oh, of course we did. You know, so Bob, uh, Stan would have eaten a little better, uh, but I remember Corny saying something to me uh I think at the time he'd had that little health scare. You know, corny. The corny today is thinner than he was. Oh, well, and, he's in better shape than ever. Right? Yeah, um, but I remember him saying like, "I like what I." It was like Tracy Smothers saying to me, "Cactus, there's not too many people out there. Don't do anything crazy." It struck me as the most absurd request of all time. That's the way corny uh, struck me when I said, "Well, that's the way I must have struck corny when I I suggested." Another drive-through, and he looked at me and said, "Cactus, I can't eat anything grilled." 
he needed the comfort of the fryer, you know, coming from Louisville, uh, home of Kentucky Fried Chicken, right? Yes. Love, love the fried stuff. Uh, so he was, I never had a drive through episode like the one Jericho witnessed. But what I do have, one of my fondest corny memories is coming out of a arena. Have I told this story no. before? Coming out of arena and this guy approaches like he's a big fan. He goes, Jim Cornette? He goes, yeah. He goes, I just want you to know, I'm suing you for something that happened around the ring a year later. And Corny goes, is there anything I can do to talk you out of it? And the guy said no. And Corny went, bam, and slapped him across the face. Like, is there anything I did? Bam. And he started cutting a heck of a promo on the guy. The guy's on his back. You don't think Corny is a tough guy, but it doesn't take much to rile Jimmy. And then Bobby Eaton starts rifling off some of the most perfectly enunciated English I've ever heard from him. Because Which is normally a mumbler. He was a mumbler. And uh, he, you know, we got in that car. We, uh, I hadn't seen that side of Corny, you know. But, man, he didn't even hesitate. Is there anything I can do to talk you out of it? And as soon as the guy said no, bam, here comes the five fingers of Cornette right across. I guess the house. idea being, uh, if I'm going to get sued either way, I might as well have my shots fun. in. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I love it. Um, you happen to remember Cornette's burger order? No. Okay. No, do you know it? Well, Bruce has made it a whole thing on his podcast. Double meat, extra onions, double meat, you know, all that. And then when you think he's done, he'll drop up. Mother, you know. Um, How's your relationship grow with him? You know, uh, he's such a genius wrestling mind. And we've heard a lot of times that, you know, business is done at the bar or in the car. And that's sort of like wrestling university. Getting to just share a car with Bobby Eaton and Jim Cornette. I know Stan is still relatively new. I think he started wrestling even after you did. But, but man, to be in there with uh, with with Cornette and Eaton, we'll have to look at that because if he conceived uh, Lauren Bobert, <laughs> he didn't. He, uh, That's when she was born. I know he didn't. But I'm saying if Stan was as rumored to be the father. Uh, that's something that's in the news, right? Is that something we can talk about? Right? It's not just a rumor. I mean, if you'd like. Uh, yeah, I I won't mention it again. Oh, it's no, just, it turns out, yeah, you were right. Yeah. Uh, he, he he was wrestling long before you. Yeah. My apologies. So maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. Just in my head, you know, Cornette is just this guru of wrestling. Right. So Corny does most of the talking. Stan's right. laid back. Stan's funny. Stan's, you know, I, I remember taking a couple of long stretches behind the wheel from time to time. Um, so I did some of the driving, but not a lot of the driving. And, uh, but it was, a lot of it was corny seeming, you know, holding court. Uh, the only drawback was that, you know, I had to get my own room, which was, you know, about 40 bucks a night. They stayed and they were two star men, two and a half star men at the time. Uh, so I was dropping 40 a night, uh, contributing for the gas in the car. And other than that, I wasn't spending much on anything. Were you surprised when Cornette left WCW? Started his own promotion. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Jimmy's always had a particular idea of the wrestling and the way it should be presented. The way it should be presented, and I think, uh, like, that's one of the be- that's one of the beautiful things to me about the product today is if there's something you don't like, there are alternatives out Plenty. there, and not just one alternative, but uh, you can find what you like. And so I said, for example, you know, I used to love the All Japan style. I thought that was where I would find a home. 
didn't knew I wasn't a WWE guy, especially after I left WCW the first time. Didn't think I'd be back in 15 months with a much bigger push. I was watching up to 12 hours while Japan wrestling a day. I liked that strong style stuff before it was termed strong style. Believe it or not, I liked the understated interviews, even though I became, I'd say, very good at the, you know the the the, the hyped up interviews. Love those, but at the time, I liked wrestling as sport, the way it was portrayed by All Japan, and thought that would be where I might fit in. But Corny had this idea based on the wrestling he grew up with, and uh, had had some money behind him. And uh, Rick Rubin was always rumored to be his... Have you, have you met Rick Rubin? I did. I met him a couple times and had a good talk with him about the the Hurt video for uh, the Johnny Cash did. So it was kind of cool to ask him, like, did you know? Did you know how powerful this was going to be? And he said, not until we did the video. Uh, so it's kind of cool to get that kind of feedback from somebody who's been right there in the middle of some of the biggest... Uh, a he listens to our podcast. He does. He really. How crazy is Rick? That? How are you doing, man? Beard game strong. Full yeti for that beard. Yeah. Well, we need to get him a bottle. Let's get him a bottle. Yeah. Yeah. Great guy. Yep. And he's one of those guys who is such a influential person in pop culture, and not just American pop culture or history, but just the world. Yeah. And to know that, man, he loves this stuff as much as we do. It's just Isn't crazy. That crazy? He, he goes to bed every night watching old wrestling. How fun is that? So it's like wrestling is to him what the old Christmas shows are to me. Yeah. Finds comfort in them. And he's halfway to a Santa beard right now. He's got, he's all the way there. He could yeah. be a heck of a Santa if he wanted to be. Uh, so let's talk about Smoky Mountain. That's going to be, you know, where Cornette lands and starts his own promotion with the help of Rick Rubin. Are you keeping up with what's going on through the trades or just through the locker room? Or how do you first hear about Smoky I Mountain? I do. I read about it. I was think I was subscribing to both the uh, uh, Observer and the Torch at the time. So I'm keeping up uh, with it through there. It sound, and, Brian, and through my friendship with Brian Hildebrand. So Brian and I, back in the days when we used to talk, you know, we, people used to talk on the phone. Well, we were probably talking on the phone once a week or so. And Brian was super happy there. He was Jimmy's right-hand man. You weren't in regular communication with Corny, just no. Brian. Yeah, Brian was the one I was in regular contact with. And Brian loved it. And he would tell me about some of the super hot crowds they had. Uh, you know, that things were on uh, whether they turned into riots or just threatened to have uh, the... You know, the uh, potential riot, some of these crowds at these old school towns, Johnson City and some of the Kentucky towns, people took that stuff really seriously. I loved them, some Rock and Roll Express, who were just so good at getting that sympathy with the crowd. And uh, they had you know, they had a they had a good crew of people there, a really good crew. Brian Lee is a top baby face. Yeah, Chris Candido came Chris in. Chris Candido came in. Brian Lee. Right, Brian, yeah, Brian Lee. Um, uh, Tony Anthony, um, Rock and Roll Express, uh, the Gangsters were Boo Bradley, Boo Bradley. yeah, yeah. So they had a good crew working with them, and uh, I, when I had Bullet. the opportunity, Bullet Bob Armstrong, yeah, I'll, you know, make sure we talk about Jimmy's Jimmy's feud with Bullet and me being there at Knoxville Civic Center to see the payoff and what I learned from watching let's, two let's masters at work. Yeah, it's so it's so. Let's let's uh, explain first. Okay, because we're speaking, we're talking about regional guys. A lot of your mankind era fans maybe don't even know what we're talking about. But 
Bullet Bob Armstrong was one of the biggest drawing stars of the Southeast. If you're in Alabama or Georgia or Florida or Tennessee, man, if you went to wrestling in Montgomery or Pensacola or anywhere like that, you knew all about Bullet Bob Armstrong. Yes. And he goes on to have one of the most legendary wrestling families of all time. Mm-hmm. His son Steve was a phenomenal tag team partner to Tracy Smothers. They had a run in WCW, one of the best matches ever against the Midnight Express. Of course, we know what happened with Road Dog. That worked out. He made millions of dollars as mm-hmm. part of DX and is still in a big way involved. And of course, Scott Armstrong, one of the best referees that WWE had and still actively producing and doing his thing. And who could forget Brad Armstrong? Wow. Maybe one of the best wrestlers that ever lived and never maybe quite got his due. Uh, but just an incredible wrestling family that I don't think enough people talk about. No. And, and he had one heck of a feud as a relatively older man. Uh, but, man, he came out and cut some really strong promos for Smoky Mountain and had some of their biggest and most memorable He was a feuds. great promo guy, and I got to see Bullet in action on Independent, even when I was working with Continental. They led us to a couple indies, and he took a guy who only had a handful of matches. And it was almost like watching a magician at work. Like, this guy came back. He was the Panther. I'd never heard of him, I'd heard him before, never heard of him since. It was almost like he was in shock at what he'd just been a part of, which was the best match he had ever had or ever will have, because Bob made him look like a million bucks and therefore made himself look even better by beating someone he'd made to look like a million bucks. The old uh, flair analogy of he could have a great match with a broomstick. Yeah. You know, I mean, you could, I mean, some of these younger guys who were maybe less than all that experience, Bullet could work around them. He could. And make it look like they were doing right. a bunch of stuff, and it was really all Bullet. So when Bullet passed away, I, you know, usually the um, when Twitter was 140 characters, by that time I think it was up to 280, that usually suffices for paying tribute. That's the given. And there are times when I really want people to know. I want them to feel the work that went into an article. So a good article will take between two and five hours to write. And so for when I when I wanted to do an article about Lex Luger, re-examining Lex Luger, I thought I can just do two minutes, you know, on my tablet, and it will get seen by more people. But I want people to feel the work. I don't want it to see, be seen as two-minute time investment. I want it to be a four- or five-hour time investment. So the Luger article was written for the audience at large, whereas the Bullet article was really written for Bullet's kids. Those are the, that was the audience, the audience of you know four people that I really wanted to see that because I wanted them to know how much respect I had for Bob. So they, I'm coming in for like a handful of TV tapings and... Uh, the payoff shows in Knoxville. So I'm leaving my house Thanksgiving afternoon, Christmas afternoon. There were three, four years in a row where I had to leave and work on Christmas Day when I was with WCW and later with Smoky Mountain. The Kiss My, Kiss my Feet match is so, it's old school. Yes. The winner, uh, the loser has to kiss the winner's feet. And what I learned, Corny loses and and he's got to kiss Bob's feet. And they get every inch out of it that you possibly can. It's, uh, it's just not the consummation. It's the foreplay that goes into the kissing. There you go. And you could not have asked for a better reaction. And just you think, whoa, it's up here. And then Bob gets the microphone just when you think every possible pop has been drained from that audience. He goes, the stipulation says, kiss my feet. 
I've got two feet. And then they get to build that same pop all over again. And I thought, there's no bumps. There's no pain. And listen to this crowd. And listen to this crowd. It's like, that's why, it's not, that's not for everyone. Right. Someone else could look at that and say, that's not wrestling. And and it, it, that's why I love the adage. And I think, I think on a certain level, Jimmy knows that wrestling is whatever you want it to be. Yes. And it was whatever he wanted it to be. And he was one of the best at it. And there's other things out there in his mind aren't wrestling. But I'd argue there were some people that would see a man in his Christmas four. creature. <laughs> yeah. There's a few other ideas that maybe aren't the best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but uh, you know, this is how old was Corny at that time? He's about my age, so he was in his 30s, kissing the feet of a man in his mid 50s, probably at that time. And if somebody is appalled by it, they have the right to be appalled by it. But for the six or seven thousand people, and I believe it was a heck of a house, brother. Uh, you bring Foley in, things start happening. <laughs> no, I was part of that, but it was it was incredible to see that and to absorb it. And I tell younger talent, one of the biggest challenges they face is, to, I said, absorb everything and then try to filter out what works for you, what doesn't, but never forget anything because you don't know when you might be able to call on what you've learned That's and apply exactly it to yourself. Right. Well said. Let me ask you this. Uh, how do you first come in to Smoky Mountain? Is it as a favor to Brian, a favor to Corny? Corny calls me. Okay. How Corny does that calls work? me. He said he's got this angle with uh, uh, Boo Bradley, not Radley. He's playing off the beloved character from... Uh, Kill a Mockingbird. Kill a Mockingbird. Jeez, how did uh, Gregory Peck is Atticus Finch, Scout. Uh, I was about to say rumor, but those are... <laughs> Those are Demi Moore and Bruce Willis, the kid, scouting rumor. But it was, right? So scout and the other one. How do you know the name of Demi Moore's kids? You got Because one of them is scout and rumor is an unusual name, right? It's just phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, so Boo Bradley is a cool character, and he wants me to come in as kind of like a mentor to Boo. And this was I get to see Chris Candido at his best which was really, really good. Yeah. And they just have a heck of a time cutting promos, doing the vignettes, playing off the matches, getting to say whatever I wanted to say um, at the TV tapings, uh, having good TV matches, too. I think I had one with Chris. I had one with, uh, uh, you know, the city's full of three-plate men. I'm a five-plate man. How can I be forgetting his name? The guy they did a dark side of the ring on. Uh, Bruiser Bedlam. Bruiser Bedlam. You know, and I remember Brian Hildebrand saying to me later, I don't, I don't think Bruiser is used to people working with him like, you know, 50-50, you know. Uh, yeah, we had, it was a good TV match. Um, and I just, I really, I really, really enjoyed my time there. Uh, Boo, also known as Balls Mahoney, what did you think of working with Balls? Oh, man, it was it was so much fun, you know. I mean, but... <sighs> You know, we lost Boo well before his time. Yes. And uh, I think he had some substance issues. substance issues. But he was such a fun guy to be around. May have had the shortest tenure ever in WWE. Came in as the evil Santa Claus. Santa Claus. Claus. Santa Claus. And I remember Corny telling me the story. Because Boo was gone by the time I got there. Even though he joined the company like three weeks before I did. Right. And he was like, Cactus. Like, Boo came in and he said... <laughs> 
<laughs> it's like a, whatever they call the payout they give you. A, I can't believe a, a draw. Draw, draw, like single word, draw. And then he may have. I remember Courtney going. He may have said food. He didn't say like where's the caterers at food. And then he overslept. He was sleeping when Ted DiBiase called him to the ring. Boom, service is no longer required. He was out in like a week. Wow. You know, like you couldn't botch any any more than he did. But in Smoky Mountain and in ECW, yes. yeah, he was he was great. And he worked with a young Chris Candido and a young Tammy Fitch. Yeah. Who we know is going to go on to become a huge star in Sunny. Uh, could you tell right away, hey, these folks are going to make it? Well, you know, Corny saw something in Tammy. I think from working the Joel Goodhart Independence. Uh, I remember Chris and, and Tammy being together before Chris was even technically like working matches, or maybe he just started, but he wasn't yet a you know Joel Goodhart level right. indie guy. But they, you know, she had that it thing that we talk about, and Chris was such a great worker. Uh, there's always problems that come into play when one half of the act, one part of the act gets over bigger than the other part. And that's what happened when they got to WWE. Yeah. But, man, they were dynamite together. And uh, and Boo and Chris were real-life best friends from uh, their high school days. And uh, just to be around somebody who was so willing to learn and was fun to be around like Boo was, it was a great time. You defeat Chad Austin on TV before kicking off the angle with you asking Tammy for a hug and her storming off. Uh, the Observer would say this. During an interview with Fitch and Bradley, Les Thatcher tells Fitch they got word from backstage that Candido was on the phone and needed to talk to Fitch immediately, so she leaves. At that point, Bradley was standing out there and Cactus came out and Bradley starts telling how Candido was his only friend except for Boots and that he lets him stay in the doghouse and gives him steak out of a can and sometimes gives him as many as five $1 bills to buy things. <laughs> Cactus brings up that beat the champ money is $1,000. At this point, Fitch returns, saying there was no phone call, and whispers something in Bradley's ear, and Bradley goes nuts and attacks Cactus. Now, Boots, of course, is, is, is Boo's pet. Yes. Um, this idea, I guess, is to help elevate Boo Bradley here in the process. Mm-hmm. He's mm-hmm. the featured spot. It gets a little more, we'll call it, adult on November 5th. Cactus and Brian Lee announce they're forming a tag team at Thanksgiving Thunder. Bradley then comes out and tells Cactus he was sorry about what happened the week before. Fitch comes out with a cat who turns out to be Boots and acts like she's going to strangle the cat if Bradley doesn't listen to her, which he does, and leaves. And then Cactus said, this isn't the first time a little pussy's messed up a man's mind. Oh, did I really go there? Yes. Ooh. The idea coming out of this is supposed to be Ooh. a takeoff on The Undertaker with Bradley eventually going uh, to face whenever he's killed, whenever he's getting killed. The face manager would hold up the cat like Paul Bear does with the urn, and Bradley would get his magical powers. So think about that. A cat is going to be like The Undertaker. I'm still stunned urn. that I went there. That's some low-hanging fruit. I feel right? like that may have been a cornet line. That probably was a cornet that line. That he knew we'd get a pop. And it did, uh, but I look at it now like, ooh, that's uh, it's not something I'm particularly proud of. How much creative freedom did you have down yonder? Oh, a lot, a lot. Jimmy was the idea man. Can't you just go out there and do your thing? And he gave me the line like a long, you know, like a missionary of old, and then I threw in that, and I love the, you know, the, uh, I turned it into the missionary position. 
Uh, so I was able to have the freedom to do whatever I wanted. Like the rhyme I did about Candido, that was mine. Candido, oh Candido, I'll beat you up, I'll make you bleedo. Like Rocky did Apollo Credo. You'll leave a skid inside your speedo, oh Candido. Yes, indeed, oh. It's all me. How do you remember that? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I just I wrote an article um, for Veterans. You played trivia professionally. That's pretty. It's a pretty good memory, right? I'm just saying you could crush that, dude. <laughs> we got to put one of those together at a Starcast, like Wrestler Jeopardy or something, and you would just mop the floor with everybody. <laughs> I um, the day before Veterans Day, I met an old friend of my dad's, 93 year old Korean, 92 year old Korean veteran. I knew I had a photo of him and I from 1982. When we had written one of our first songs, Ode to Dell, Willie, and Hub, who were the three guys who ran the recreation program. And so uh, I, they were shocked to see that I still remembered the lyrics of the song from 40 years earlier. It's not like I'd ever recited them again, but it right. was just in my head. We would like thank you all for letting us play basketball. We really hope you like it well. Now I'll sing about Mr. Dell. And that was the song. But I had to be like six rhymes. Just like that. Candido, oh, Candido. I'll beat you up. I'll make you bleed out. So the story continues that Boo is kept under Chris and Tammy's control. And if Boo doesn't listen to uh, Tammy, Boots will get hurt. But Boo really wants to be friends with you. And eventually Tammy would tell Boo that you tried to hurt Boots. And Bradley, uh, yeah, Bradley gets angry about it. And the Observer had this to say. Jack did an interview saying he wasn't in SMW for any titles. He's on a mission from God to lead Bradley to heaven which is a way for Jack to say on air that he is now in the missionary position. <laughs> Actually, all of Jack's interviews on all the shows contained <laughs> remarks like that. And I've never they known were Cactus. cute, though. They were cute remarks, right? I'm not anti. Yeah. JR's here for this, too, right? Yeah, JR was doing the interviews, right? Isn't it crazy to think how much talent is right there in Smoking Right there, the right? Because this was the point where uh, Jim was in between gigs, right? Yep. Um, And he fit like a glove there. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This holiday season, why not do something for a special person in your life? You. Give yourself a gift to raise your spirits and not just for the day. I've tried therapy myself. I actually started therapy in 2006. I was dealing with a uh, breakup. I just didn't know how to cope with. I I needed to learn some new skills. I needed to figure out the right way to navigate through life. And sometimes it's easier to talk to someone. And I didn't want to talk to one of my friends or family members. I needed to talk to a professional, a real third party. And these days, boy, that's better than ever. In my opinion, better help is a great option. Maybe you're like me and you needed to learn some new coping skills, or maybe you need to try to figure out how to set some more healthy boundaries, or maybe you struggle with self-empowerment or you're dealing with trauma. I've benefited from therapy and I think you will too. And BetterHelp makes it so easy. As the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists, 100% online. Plus it's affordable. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a therapist. And if things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist anytime. It couldn't be simpler. No waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash Foley. That's better H E L P 
BetterHelp.com slash Foley. BetterHelp.com slash Foley. And I had said last week that uh, we would do a video for Jules Never Alone Challenge. And so you see, this is me dropping names. You can see the name there for the email. This is uh, so I click on Jewel Kilcher, and up pops the thing. And she says to me, Thank you so much for joining the hashtag Not Alone Challenge. Below are the details, and my team is building out the WWE Watch package to send to you for edits. They love the package. The package being the uh, Mr. In Your House. Pizza party! Is in your house for the pizza party. And you go to notalonechallenge.org to bid on that. And we'll also have a link as well. And I'm going to do a 30-second video where I'm going to call out you and Eric Bischoff. Hello, it's the hardcore legend Mick Foley on behalf of Jules Not Alone Challenge. That's hashtag not alone. I know I've struggled with bouts of depression stemming from injuries suffered during my wrestling career. And it's really helped me to know that I am not alone and neither are you. If you're going through a difficult time, know that there are people out there who care, who can support you, and that you are not alone. Hashtag not alone. I'm calling on Eric Bischoff and Conrad Thompson to face this challenge and do a video of their own. And I also have a great uh, package where I watch uh, wrestling in your house, the Foley hashtag in your house pizza party i hope you'll participate but more importantly i hope you'll know that you are not alone there we go so there you go notalonechallenge.org go ahead and uh, throw your bids up there mick foley mr in your house coming in your house uh man just love it here's the issue at hand uh, it's a positive show right yeah is it approaching ddp levels of positivity Absolutely not. Where the positivity can actually lead to negativity? No, sir. We okay. shit on Mill Maskers for a half hour earlier. <laughs> so, I think we're okay. okay. <laughs> we'll probably shit if, on a few more people. If I start getting to that level. Of GDP? Uh, yeah. Oh, we'll smack you. Okay, good. Yeah. Like Cornette well. did with that fan outside of the arena. <laughs> Uh, the Gangsters are here. They yeah. have a match with Brian Lee and Lance Storm. It ends when Candido hits Lee with a garbage can. He's pinned. Candido then hides under the ring, so referee Mark Curtis couldn't see him. Jack then came out, and he, Lee, and Storm surround the ring. Storm pulls Candido out, and Jack hits Candido over the head with a garbage can lid. And, of course, that's going to uh, lead to a match on the following show. But the gangsters, we haven't talked about them. Boy, right. they are the ultimate heels in this era, are they not? Yeah. I mean, this is a part of the country where at the time the gangsters burning the Confederate battle flag is a heel move, brother, in that part of the country, especially at that time. That gave uh, Tracy Smothers that fiery baby face uh, come back. Yeah, they were doing stuff that hadn't been done. Like, they were taking their life into their own hands, you know? Yeah, I mean, he... Uh, let's, it's important to remind everybody. This is around the same time that they've got the riots in L.A. Mm-hmm. This is around the same time of the Rodney King beating. Fast forward, and we've got the whole O.J. Simpson circumstance. New Jack goes on TV and says, Hey, O.J., keep up the good work. I mean, just like, what are we doing? Yeah. Mega heat. Um, but I don't think anybody would do that these days. But back not. then, boy. Whew. Yeah. It really, uh, yeah, man, especially on independent shows, 
uh, you know, there's certain buttons you shouldn't press. And I believe, you know, those you're there to have a good time, especially with your family. And there's certain buttons and shouldn't be pressed lines that shouldn't be crossed. But uh, you don't know where the line is until you cross it. That's and true. Uh, uh, Mustafa was he was a really good hand as far as being a good, a good uh, worker, bump guy. But. Clearly, New Jack was the star. He, that. Was, the star, he yeah. was such a good talker and was not afraid of the heat. Really welcomed it, and that was a great, uh, you know, it was corny. Pretty much birthing those guys, you know, because he I don't lost a lot of careers. Yeah, yeah, he sure did. Thanksgiving Thunder is a big week, of course. Uh, Knoxville does more than fifteen hundred fans on Thanksgiving night, nearly fifteen thousand dollars. It's fifteen hundred. Yep. Did I say it was six thousand? Well, ah, it's off by a few. You were close. We were rounding. So we're rounding here. Looked like more than 1500 to me, brother. Paintsville, Kentucky did 950. Johnson City did 1250. Marietta did uh, 650. Um, he's really building up this match in a nice way. M- Meltzer would say Candido versus Jack was the best match at the taping. Even when Candido collided with Bradley at ringside, uh, Jack hit him with the double arm DDT for the win. Tammy then sprays stuff in Jack's eyes. Candido lays him out and tells Bradley to jump off the top rope on him. Bradley refuses. Finally, Tammy threatens to hurt the cat, and Bradley gets on the top rope. But before he could jump, Brian Lee made the save. How good was Chris Candido in the ring? He was so good. He was such an underrated heel, and he loved being a heel. The different type of heel, obviously, than New Jack was. But he was not afraid to, as we say in the trade, to show his ass, which means, you know, show cowardly tendencies. Within a few years, the cool heel became all the rage, but he was like the anti-cool. He's the guy that's about one-third as cool as he thinks he is, and he's not afraid. He's not afraid to show fear, which is great for when you're a babyface and that heel cowers and doesn't. Can't you don't just, like... You know, the key, when you're taking a powder, hey, hey, let's talk about this. He didn't do that. He ran, literally ran. And I borrowed that, and he was glad that I mentioned it. I, when I worked with Undertaker and I would bail out, I would do a sprint as far up that aisle as I could, and I would have those arms pumping, those knees going up high, so that when we did it in the Kuwaiti National Football Stadium, that was about an 80-yard run for me. Yeah, about 80 yards. And then you finally get to a clearing, and you look around like, okay now am i okay now and i stole that from chris because i thought it was tremendous and i really enjoyed working with him had some marathon matches with him too i mean i don't know at peel's palace if dave reported on that one but i think that was in the 42 minute range you know in front of five six hundred people and you know working our butts off for what's going to be a a decent but not great payoff let me say if you're an animal lover it's going to get heavy here in a minute on the 17th of December, there's a TV main event with Cactus versus Bradley. It's a triple knockout collision. Tammy's going to jump in the ring with a bag. It's supposed to have a cat in it, but Belzer says the cat was a no-show. Uh, I don't know why that phrasing tickles me, but I don't know. Maybe the cat was a no-show. Is this the payoff? Not yet. Is that cat was there for the oh, payoff. Hang tight. Jack grabs the bag. When Bradley sees Jack with the bag, he goes nuts. They wind up brawling all over the place to a double count out. To build to Bradley turning, they do a video showing that Candido and Fitch kept Bradley living in the garage, curled up by the boiler. Fitch told Bradley she was taking his cat 
And if he hurts Cactus Jack over Christmas, he'll get the cat back. If he doesn't, they're throwing the cat off the bridge into the river. <laughs> and the final show, we'll see Bedlam doing interviews, saying he's going on his own. He's broken up with Cornette. Uh, he ends up in a singles match with Cactus, which winds up with a DQ, and there's a big brawl. Of course, Bruiser Bedlam is uh, somebody we just talked about earlier. He's a big part of the dark side of the ring. Uh, but we're getting to the big Christmas show. And the first three Christmas chaos shows were successful. You had $6 tickets, but you had 2,315 fans there in Knoxville for Christmas. Uh, 1,275 in Johnson City. And uh, nearly a full house of 700 in Lenore, North Carolina. And that's the largest crowd ever for Smoky Mountain in that city. But the highlight of the shows all three nights were Falls Count Anywhere matches between Cactus Jack and Chris Candido. The first night was a tag with Jack and Tracy Smothers. Uh, of course, Brian Lee's out. He's quit the promotion. They're going to be taking on Candido and Boo Bradley. And this match was said to be four stars. It's including uh, you guys brawling all over the building. Cactus taking a backdrop into a jacuzzi. <laughs> you want to tell me about the jacuzzi backdrop? They had a jacuzzi in Knoxville. And you said, i got to use that. you gotta, you got to incorporate that somehow, right? <laughs> when I lacked in physical prowess, I made up with my creativity. The creativity. Backdrop into the jacuzzi. It wound up with all four brawling in the jacuzzi, <laughs> continuing the match drenched in water. Bradley came off the top rope, but Smothers pulled Jack out of the way. Bradley hits Candido, who was pinned. And here it is, folks. Oh. After the match... The leg drop. Heard they killed the Bradley's cat, Boots. They brought the cat, actually it's Tammy Fish's pet cat, to the building and put it in a bag and threatened to kill it. The gimmick on TV had been they threatened to kill the cat if Bradley didn't win the match for their team. But Bradley chased him to the back. While in the back, they dropped the cat off <laughs> and got a new bag with no cat. But the fans didn't know this. And they made their, made it was their done way. quickly. It was done expertly. It was Just like quick hand hand. Hand. Right. Yeah, switcheroo. The Candido comes off the top rope with a butt drop onto the bag, therefore killing the cat. Bradley wound up crying and shaking hands with Cactus, and the next two nights they did singles matches because they announced that Bradley refused to team with Candido over what happened, and Bradley got involved in the post-match action. And while they're brawling in Lenore, North Carolina, they can on the concession table, and Jack does a sunset flip off the concession table onto the floor for the pin creativity uh, is there anything more creative than killing a cat oh man that was you see me smiling I, I mean for those listening you can feel a smile but if you're watching i'm just beaming and as you're talking about it i'm thinking to myself man i love wrestling how do you and this is part of the reason why like only in wrestling does this work and we don't care about that other part of society that doesn't understand we're almost proud of the fact yes. that we work in a line of business where we can do this type of thing no animals were harmed in the making of this uh, video but it was spectacular got a lot of heat for uh, Chris and Tammy a lot of sympathy for Boo and then I think I ended up bequeathing to Boo I mean or just giving I think bequeath technically is happens when someone has perished well the cat is the, the cat has perished so bequeath to Boo are a pair of tights I had made for me when I was in Texas that have flowers going down one side. And I believe Boo wore that for every single remaining Smoky Mountain match. 
it's a fun segment. And listen, I know people would poke fun at it now, but the reality is they had done this a few years prior at a big level with the WWF when Earthquake squashed the snake for Jake That's the right, Snake Roberts. Yeah. They were Quake Burgers, if you will. Yes. But now it's with a cat. And it's, that cat's more cuddly and lovable. Most and, people at home don't have a pet snake. Right. A lot of people. Right. And we've all gone through that period where you... You're, that's one of the saddest moments. It doesn't matter who you are, how old you are. It's never easy to watch a loved one like that. Uh, I reach out when, when I was on Twitter and I heard that somebody's pet had died. More often than not, it would be done to, via direct message. Just letting them know my heart went out to them. Because it's, it's just, oh, it's devastating. And I think everybody who's ever owned a pet has been through it. It never gets easier. Uh, and so people can empathize much more easily with the death of a cat than a snake. I, uh, I'm happy to report that they suspended those damn horrible people, Candido and Fitch. You can't kill cats, so they're suspended. Uh, they even edit this off of the Atlanta station because really? they, they thought it was too controversial. But they do air Cactus Jack and Boo Bradley. He's my brother. Is that the he's my brother video? Going to the cat's funeral. <laughs> With Jack telling Bradley he'd see the cat later again in heaven. <laughs> and then Jack says they want Candido unsuspended so Bradley can get revenge. And Bob Armstrong does it. A cat's funeral? So this is not the he's my brother video where I, I we're, we're getting there. Okay, we're getting there. Okay. On okay. the 14th, we air the mental hospital because you guys are at a mental hospital and we're showing that. Bradley is getting a clean bill of health. Now, keep in mind, as we do this, this is all Cornette. Yes. This is all from the mind of Cornette. So whether it is your cup of tea or it's not, it's an impressive cup of tea. Like, this is... It is an impressive cup of tea. It's, it's great. But I do wonder, if we had this same skit about a cat being killed and going to a mental hospital and it aired on Dynamite, would Cornette like it or no? Probably not. Isn't that interesting? Probably not, yeah. Uh, Candido does an interview saying how happy he was to smash Bradley's cat, and they brought up that Tammy Fitch has been suspended. A week later, they do a spoof video for Jack and Bradley on the whole Hulk Hogan, Dave Sullivan angle. Jack is going to give Bradley his lucky tights, which he was wearing when Vader tore his ear off and he lost his teeth and <laughs> said he hopes it's going to give Bradley similar luck, which is a great line. I lost my teeth and ears. Maybe they'll bring you the same luck. Uh, Bradley then comes out wearing his boxers over his tights for his match with Candido. And after a ref bump, a bag lady came out and sprayed Bradley and Candido got the pin. Mark Curtis is revived, pulls the wig off the bad lady. What do you know? It's Fitch. He reverses the decision. <laughs> and after the match, Candido pulls out a can of dog food, which was really beef stew, and poured it all over Bradley, including down his mouth. This is just good, old-fashioned Southern wrestling. Oh, is it I love it. I love it. It's so silly, and I love it. Uh, you wrote this about your uh, time in Smoky Mountain. Without a doubt, Corny had more energy than anyone I've ever met. Even while working as a manager in the WWF, he somehow found the time to book and star in his own promotion. Smokey and ECW were like night and day. Instead of hardcore, bloodthirsty fans, Smokey had old-time fans. These were fans who still believed in good guys and bad guys, and to whom cheating was still reason to be upset. As Cactus Jack, I was instantly embraced as a fan favorite, but more importantly, as a guy whose shirts they wanted to buy. <laughs> I was embroiled in a feud with Chris Candido, and that was a lot of fun. And I was making money courtesy of the generous fans of Kentucky, Tennessee, and North Carolina. Corny gave me free reign over my interviews, 
for which some reason were laced with double entendres and bad poetry. During one promo, I compared my quest to free the simple-minded Boo Bradley that I was really going to enjoy the missionary position. There you go. The feud with Candido also inspired these thoughtful verses, and you did it earlier. Candido. Oh, Candido. I may have missed a line or two. I'll beat you up. I'll make you bleed-o. I'll use these fists like two big Cheetos, like Rocky did Apollo Credo. I'll leave a skin inside your <laughs> Speedos. I'll, I'll scare you stiff. Oh, yes, indeedo. I'll leave a skin inside your Speedo. <laughs> I forgot about the two big Cheetos. Did it say I'll use these fists like two big Cheetos? It's not into the Ah, oh, son of a nutcracker. But you didn't imagine that. You probably did I say probably it. I probably did. Now now it's yeah, now, now it's come back to me. Cheetos. But it's pretty serious stuff you would write. And I was able to work quite a few shows for Cornette, highlighted by the traditional Christmas and Thanksgiving shows. Um, I just want to reiterate, this means being a Christmas guy, young kids, you got to finish up your Christmas by about, it was a four-hour drive for me when I was living in Atlanta. So you have to finish up by one. You know, that's a, a sacrifice, right? It is. it is. It's definitely a sacrifice. There were a lot of times when you're working where you'd work up until the 23rd, and you'd have the 24th off, and then you'd work Christmas Day. So, listen, we talked a lot about uh, Smoky Mountain today. Any Anything else you can share with us about your time at Smoky Mountain? It just, I mean, it just proves to me, looking at it, that there's no one way to get across the finish line. Right. It's all about making that audience uh, enjoy. It's just about taking people on a ride. And uh, that's why, you know, I love Corning, but, uh, and I understand that, you know, the AEW is, it's part of who he is now, you know. Um, but I, I, there's there's more than one way to get across the finish line. And I was simultaneously working for two guys who had two completely different ways of getting across that line. Yeah. Paul Heyman and Jim Cornette. And you can't say one was right and one was wrong or one was better than the other. These are two of the brightest minds and most remarkably intelligent people I've ever met in my life. Did they ever uh, give you shit about the other one? No, not really. No. Was it an enjoyable time overall with Smoky Mountain? Yeah. Any yeah. regrets? Anything you None. wish you could have done there? None. I mean, you can look and say, hey, maybe I shouldn't have worked Christmas Day, but, you know, when you commit to, you know, helping somebody. And, that's their big show? Yeah, and I think it did. I think it raised Bradley's profile, and he was in a better spot than he was before I got there. And so, you know, I may be, I made 500 a night for 15, 20 shows. You know, I did okay. Sold some shirts, but it was more to me about really establishing myself and and trying to move onward with a character, even though I was having some fun and doing some goofy say, things. I'm having fun. I'm having fun. I'm doing doing things I like doing, and I think that's infectious. Yes, I do. And you know, same thing I said with the show. Like, you, if you're not if you're not watching, you can almost feel me smiling. Yes, and thinking to myself, I love wrestling, and I hope that's part of what we do here every week is remind people why we love wrestling and take them away from some of the frustrations that go hand in hand with being a weekly. Uh, wrestling fan and that you realize at the end of it that it is a wonderful journey yes. and that some of the best times you have uh, seem to be some of the worst times as you're going through them. You look back and you laugh at our wild, wonderful world. Were you surprised when Smoky Mountain closed? 
I was, and I was I was sad because it was a great regional promotion. I think uh, the slogan was wrestling the way it used to be and the way you like it or something along those lines. And that was Jimmy's vision to have that old school promotion. And he did it and did it really, really well. Of course, when the company closes, Cornette can spend more time focusing on the WWF, not only just doing the managerial stuff, but boy, he's a major player behind the scenes. And his fingerprints are all over your run there. Just first of all, getting you in the company. Mm -hmm. Uh, Everybody knows that those uh, early Mankind vignettes with the rat, that was actually Cornette's pet rat. Yep, yep. And um, I think even the mandible claw is a Corny. Corny, I remember talking to Corny. um, Maybe it was in 90, I don't remember what year it was, but probably, probably 92, 93, expressing that. Uh, the the elbow off the ring apron was becoming more and more difficult to pull off on a regular basis, and you uh, you ultimately wanted a finishing move you could put on anyone anywhere, at any time, and that's where Jimmy told me about the history of the mandible claw, and Doctor Sam Shepard, the real life physician upon whom the uh, the TV show and later the movie The Fugitive was based. And how Sam Shepard, whether he could not go back into medicine or would not because of his notoriety, uh, he was not guilty, but not, he wasn't judged, he wasn't exonerated. That might be a state type of thing. You're not guilty, but you're not exonerated. And he wasn't until decades later. And so he developed the mandible claw, a nerve hold, uh, based on his knowledge of the human anatomy. And Corny thought that would be a good hold for me. Pitched it to Bill Watts. He went with the "Why wouldn't I bite your damn fingers off?" I went with its paralyzing nerve hold, finger, you know, tongue underneath the tongue, underneath the point of the chin simultaneously. Uh, dismissed it out of hand, and uh, I had it in my back pocket for when I met with Vince. And I just talked about uh, about the mandible claw with Doctor Baker, DMD, and how we both loved the fact, and how I sold Vince on the fact that it was one of the few, if only, holds where both facial expressions could be in the same camera shot. Yes. And that's what makes it great. So Britt pulled up a handful of photos showing that, uh, and she had that little mischievous, naughty smile that instantly endeared her to everyone who watched the show. I didn't have the same look, but I had a, I had a look. And I loved the idea that you could be in there and you could make noises and you'd be right in there. And, you know, I'd tell people, you know, how to properly sell it. Some guys, you know, would sell like a a bug on the ground after an extermination. And it was just, uh, man, that that move added a year or two to my career. And uh, many a good man went down to it. Undertaker agreeing to sell it was probably the pivotal point. You know, like, Owen, I didn't understand this uh, until I read uh, his wife's book, after Owen was gone, that Owen thought it had a sexual component to it. What? And I never, ever perceived it that way. This, you know, the, this is before the sock. This is, you know, the two fingers in the mouth. And uh, that's why if you look at the match I had with Owen, like in 97, I beat him with a pile driver, which I, you know, I did pile drivers, but never won a match with a pile driver. And I was fine with that. But I think if, Undertake, if Undertaker hadn't been so willing to uh, let this, you know, kind Other of... Other people would have pushed back. Yeah, they might have pushed back on it. But once you have Undertaker doing it and selling it... Who are you to argue? Exactly. Um, you said sometimes when he threw it on, you would make noises. I remember the noises. Can you give us one of those? I can't anymore. You can't do the street? I can't do the squ- You know, it turns... You make that noise by the rapid vibration. 
uh, and you and it it burns your vocal cords. It, so I can't do it. My daughter was watching for all mankind, and she was like, "Dad, that's really scary." I was like, "That's that was the point." And where I got that was just putting my own tilt on Terry Funk, who to me was. There will never be a heel as menacing as Terry Funk facing Jerry Lawler at the Mid-South Coliseum because Terry made it easier than anyone I've ever seen to suspend disbelief. I believe even his opponent suspended disbelief. They didn't know whether it was real or not. And based on the velocity of his punches, it felt damn real when you're in there. And it's just this moment, and maybe we can get this moment, where he goes to work with those punches in the corner, those big left hands and rights as well, and then he turns around and he's got his fists up like this, and he's in another world, and he's screaming out the word, pig, pig. That was his high-pitched squeal. So I didn't say pig, but I used the high pitch. I can't do it. I mean, I burned the vocal cords out. I, that was me giving to my art the sake of my art, uh, but that was me borrowing from the great Terry Funk. It was fantastic. Yeah. One of the most iconic. If you have a chance to watch Lawler versus Funk, Mid-South Coliseum. Not the empty arena. Not the empty arena, but this one, he turns around. I don't care who you are. You mean, like, it's real. Still real to him, damn it. We'll, we'll try to get Grillo to throw that in so everybody can see <laughs> okay. it. Man, Cornette, though, you know, We've, there's often a debate. Who's the greatest manager of all time? Is it Paul Heyman? Is it Jim Cornette? Is it Bobby Heaton? And one of the things I think that's so interesting about all three, but specifically Cornette and Heyman, man, they did it all. Yeah. They were ringside photographers. They were managers. Uh, they did they did matches, if you want to call it that. But they booked for other promotions. Mm -hmm. They ran their own promotion. Those guys are like real MVPs of the wrestling industry, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, there's a photo of me uh, at Ward Mobile High School in March 1985 where I first met Tommy D, who put me on his ring crew, and that was my entry into the world of wrestling. 19 years old, and in the background of that photo, I think I'm, I'm posing with Larry Zabisco, is a 19-year-old Paul Heyman who was there taking photos for the magazines. Same place, same time, 1985. I love it. So cool, man. I, I'm glad we got to talk about Cornette today. You know, Cornette is uh, legendary these days for his podcast and his hot takes on modern wrestling and, and all that jazz. But, uh, he did so much more than that, that I don't think enough people really acknowledge. And some of the stuff was behind the scenes, that we really never even hear about, like all the stuff we talked about today, but even his work in Ohio Valley. Yeah. So important. And you did some shots for him down there in mm -hmm. Ohio Valley. I sure but did. That, that training ground, you know, we talked about all the folks he helped launch in Smoky Mountain. Think about all the guys who came through OVW. It's incredible. incredible. Moxley's book where he's talking about going to his first OVW show, and one after another, they're guys who went on to be big stars in yes. WWE and elsewhere. Are you surprised he's not in the WWE Hall of Fame? Corny? Yeah. Uh, does he want it? Does he want to be? Well, he, he had no problem inducting the Rock and Roll Express. It feels like, and I know he's doing that for somebody else, but it does feel like if they were to induct the Midnight Express. He should be in there. Yeah. The Midnight should Express be. should be in. And you can't have a Midnight Express without Jim Cornette. Yeah. Cornette I deserves it on his own. He does. But if, I, in my head, if they offer it to the Midnight Express, he doesn't say no. 
He wants Dennis Condry on that stage. He wants Stan Lane on that stage. He wants it for Bobby's memory, right? I think so. Yeah, I hope it happens. I, I hope, hope it, does it happens too. this year. I hope it does too. I mean, I don't know that it will because it's that LA. Hall of Fame is a time to push everything aside. That was yes. one thing I took from Medusa's speech uh, that she gave in 2015. That was another one of those stories that I spent multiple hours on because I wanted people to know, like, what a great speech that was. And when I look back on it, a year before WWE actually changed divas to women's, I said. The term divas was use. It's useful, but it's outlived its usefulness. Yes. It's time for a change, and I think that uh, ushered it in. But Medusa made it clear that, you know, let's put all that stuff behind us. You know, this is the one time when you put all the uh, grudges and politics behind you, and you just stand on that stage and you accept what I think in our business is the biggest honor. There is. On one hand, it's an imaginary hall because it doesn't even exist right now. Right. And it's one or two people's opinions. And therefore, nobody should define their career based on whether or not they get in there. No. But once you're up there and you're addressing that audience, it, it should be one of the biggest moments of anyone's career. So I, I hope he gets it. I'm pulling for it. Hey, man, let me give you a pro tip for that person in your life who's hard to buy for. Let me recommend a gift that I've gotten many times and it hits every time. I'm talking about Omaha Steaks. Omaha Steaks is America's original butcher since 1917, and it's a holiday gift that's guaranteed to be loved. The holidays are here, and we want you to achieve gifting greatness when you give the gift of perfectly aged, tender, and delicious Omaha Steaks. The steak experts at Omaha Steaks have put together special curated gift packages to help take the guesswork out of gifting and make you a holiday hero. Go to omahasteaks.com and use code Foley at checkout to get $30 off your order. Send an assortment of mouthwatering favorites guaranteed to impress, like the legendary's butcher's cut filet mignon, air-chilled boneless chicken, ultra-juicy burgers, and even easy-to-prepare comfort meals that are ready in a flash. Omaha Steaks is ready to ship your order right away, so shop early and beat the shipping rush. Go to omahasteaks.com and use the promo code Foley at checkout. Omaha Steaks is a gift from the heart, a gift that will be remembered with every unforgettable bite. Order with complete confidence today, knowing you're ordering the very best. Visit omahasteaks.com, promo code Foley at checkout to get that extra $30 off your order. That's omahasteaks.com and use the promo code Foley. You'll get 30 bucks off your order. A minimum order may be required. Take it from me, whoever you're thinking about, maybe they're hard to buy. Maybe you're looking for the perfect gift. It doesn't get any better than Omaha steaks. And here's a little pro tip. They might invite you over. Come on, omahasteaks.com and use that promo code Foley. NMLS number 65084 equal housing lender. Woo! The five-star reviews are in, and it's confirmed. SaveWithConrad.com can save you thousands. Jimmy E. writes that we saved his family more than $1,000 a month. James S. says we saved his family more than $1,200 a month. But how much can you save? It's free to find out right now at SaveWithConrad.com. But if you've got a second mortgage, if you've got credit card debt, or even worse, if you're in a 30-year loan, it's not a matter of if we can save you money, but a matter of how much at SaveWithConrad.com. Before we wrap up, two more things. I want to ask about TNA. You spent a little time with him there. Yeah. Had he changed any? Had he simmered down? Had he mellowed out? He seemed to mellow out. I remember <laughs> I remember being in Orlando in 2008 when WWE had WrestleMania there. 
And as we're going to, I think, the Bagels, Brunch, and Biceps uh, uh, luncheon, which I was part of for WWE, we walked through the catering area where everyone from TNA was. And the WWE people were trying to usher me out of there, but I'm seeing people I've known. At that point, I'd known Corny for uh, 18 years, and one after another, that I'm like, wait, we got to go, we got to go. But I'm not going to give short shrift to Jim Cornette. But he had seemed to have mellowed. And, uh, you know, for all the, you know, the animosity, I guess, uh, Jimmy's Jimmy towards Russo more than the other way, they seemed to work pretty well together when I was there. And Jimmy, uh, I guess, for back, lack of a better word, scripted that epic brawl that took like 27 minutes and incorporated every guy, on the, every man and woman on the roster. It was like a cinematic match that was done live. And that was Corny. And Corny was behind the scenes for a lot of the things. And he was, uh, I thought we had a good group of people there. The biggest mistake TNA made, and this is, you know, you know, clearly we'll do another episode another time, or maybe we already have, is that, you know, Dixie thought that she could compete with WWE for being the top promotion in the world. And that's just not, it's just not feasible. Even for AEW, I would say, I think they know. I think Tony knows you can win the ratings. You can have an ultra-successful company without worrying about whether or not, you know, you have a more of an international reach or whatever the case may be, because that's just a machine. Mm-hmm. There's so many layers to it. And uh, that's one of the things I learned when I left, is that they do a lot of things right. One last thing. What do you think Jim's legacy in wrestling will be? He uh, first and foremost, I think he was a creator yes. who left people better off than they were before he got involved with them. Second of all, he was behind. Besides being a creator, he was a phenomenal air on-air talent. And and first and foremost, I think he would want to be remembered as one of the biggest wrestling fans who've ever lived. And even though he wears uh, many hats, like you said on-air talent, producer, creative head, in his heart. He's a fan. He's a fan. And we are, too. We hope you guys are fans of what we're doing. We greatly appreciate you taking time out of your week to spend it with us. We realize there's a thousand other podcasts to listen to, but you're spending time with us, and we appreciate it, and so do our sponsors. And We hope you'll consider supporting them. And, hey, if you think we've earned it, throw us a five-star review. Uh, hit that like button. Hit the subscribe button. And if you really like the show, tell your friends about our YouTube channel. It's youtube.com forward slash pod. We'd love for you to go ahead and like that. Hit the subscribe button. Throw on the notifications bell. And be ready for next week because we're talking about Stone Cold Steve Austin. Oh, that's going to be a good you one. You saw him in world class. You spent time with him in WCW, ECW, and the WWF. Man, you want to talk about a big episode. We got it next week. And if you've got questions, we've got answers. Hit us up at Foley is Pod. And, uh, man, this was a great episode. I really appreciate the time. I do, too. And it's worth that trip, brother. I make that trip so we can have the best podcast possible. Couldn't do it without Grillo at the helm, without you, Conrad. Most of all, we couldn't do it with you out there listening in and recommending us to your friends. But before we get out of here. Are we doing it? It's that time. Oh, man, we haven't done one on air in a long time. It's just in time for Christmas. By the way, as we're setting up, a wonderful Cameo experience for you, uh, which you can go to cameo.com forward slash Mick Foley. Mick Foley. And there you'll see the best holiday gift you could give anybody this holiday season. But in the meantime, if you really want to be the big spender and give something really cool and do something nice, 
go to notalonechallenge.org, yeah. and you, you too could have a Mr. In Your House, In Your House pizza party. Indeed you can. And uh, bid on that, and uh, just check out the, go to hashtag uh, not alone. Thanks to my friend Jewel, who is my friend, for real, yeah. for real, and uh, she uh, accepted my... Uh, she invites you to her wedding? She was married to Ty Murray for many years and has not remarried, but I suspect if she ever does, someone will be officiated. No, I don't think that. I hope you don't get, I hope you don't get <laughs> Becky lynched. You know? Becky did respond to me, by the way. Oh, goodness. Yeah, so Becky said, and I think it's okay. I will, uh, if not, we can edit this out. <laughs> Becky said, oh, thank you so much. We didn't publicize it much, but it's been a while now. Ha ha, you're the best. I also roughly finished my book yesterday, too. Oh. So I've been one of Becky's pre-readers, and I really enjoyed when she sends me chapters. And I volunteered to go out there, um, to go out there where uh, she and Colby and Seth live and just do the page-by-page Thing. I don't know if you know the story with Jericho's book. Go ahead. Yeah, you tell me. So Jericho wanted a blurb, and I, you know, I just I'm, I'm going to read it. You know, he goes, you don't have to read it. And I went through Chris's book, and I liked it so much. But because I think I had three out already, like I saw ways it could be improved. And he and I spent about six, seven hours on the phone going through page by page, little things, little things. Not trying to change, but like for example, I would say. Let me take this off so when I do it up, it's complete. I would say, like, Chris was talking about the jeopardy he was in when a well-known hockey enforcer saw him, like, looking at his bag or touching his bag. And I said, okay, Chris, I get that he's a tough guy. He's been in fights. I said, but Bruiser Bedlam's in jail for killing people. You need to let people know that when you caught him putting away dishes without washing them and merely wiping them off, that when Bruiser gets in your face, your life's in jeopardy. Little things like that. And I would say, like, when you tell the story about Tommy Billington, when Chris uh, approaches him, and I'm not really dropping an F-bomb if I do with Tommy's accent. Chris walks up to him and he goes, don't even fucking think about it. And I said, that's the accent which makes it. So don't just say, don't even effing think about it. Say he said in his thick, uh, you know, Wigan accent, and spell spell it F O O K I N G. So it's just like a, maybe a hundred suggestions like that. When I read it through, he'd done like ninety-seven of them. Taking wow. the, yeah, so I really felt good about that because I realized he had a heck of a book, and that you know, with my help, it could be even a little better. So, so anyway, I'm dudin' up, brother. And, He's dude it up for Cameo. Cameo.com forward slash Mick Foley, the ultimate Christmas <laughs> present. And uh, just in time for Christmas, we might even have, am I, am I lucky or correct in guessing it might be holiday themed? This is holiday themed, Daddy. So the dude is going to do this. This is for Joe. Joe Wright. Uh, that's it. Spelled W like, uh, like Paul White, but with an R. And uh, I have a song. This is one of my favorite things. And one of the cool things, Daddy, about being the dude is you can interpret any song and put your own twist on a Christmas classic. Why, on Christmas Eve, my main mandible, Mankind, did a soulful rendition of Jolly Old St. Nicholas, and Colette Foley was actually in tears, stunned at the dude's earnestness. And dude, I've stunned at, stunned at Mankind's earnestness. Same type of earnestness I'm going to try to replicate as we go. Oh, Joe, my man, my main man. 
This is not a figmentation of your imagination, my brother from another mother. This is, in fact, Jack, do love hippest cat in the land. Exactly who I think you're thinking. I think you think it is, Daddy. And it's that time of year, that special time of year. That's right, Daddy. It's Christmas time. Everybody's a little nicer. Cats are a little groovier. Kitties are a little bit more kind. And dude would like to celebrate this day with his gift. Let me make sure the speakers are on. Because I do not want anything to get... Oh, just turn it off, Daddy. <laughs> Let's turn this back on. Get this ball rolling. Dude love giving his gift of song. Join in if you know the words. Let's take it away. Any second now. Oh, yes, indeed. Oh, the weather outside is frightful, but the sky is so delightful. And since you no place to go, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. Oh, it doesn't show signs of stopping. So dude brought some porn for watching. What, 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 daddy? What, what are you saying? Huh? Did you just say porn for watching? Uh, no, daddy. That would be a figmentation of your imaginations. Dude said some corn for popping. So okay. now without further ado or a dude, let me continue on. Let us know. Let us know. When we finally say goodnight, ah, how I hate going out in that storm. But if you only hold too tight, oh, when he gets home, he'll watch porn. I know you said that. Uh, all right, Daddy. Okay. All right. He, who among us has not made a mistake? Dude likes the rough stuff once in a while, Daddy. Oh. Not a shame. Not rough stuff, but romantic. Oh, so. All right, Joey. Uh, that was a faux pas by Dude Love. Do not advocate the rough stuff at all. But uh, I am sending you a very merry birthday uh, Christmas gift. Uh, yes, I'm, I'm now. I can't believe that Conrad has turned on me. Can't believe my buddy Grillo has a turned enemy in a heartbeat. But you, my friend, you are still indeed a part of the dude's posse. Dude love, sending you greetings of peace, owl, love, and understanding the heartfelt hope that this Christmas will be the holliest, jolliest, the merriest, ooh, the coolest, grooviest, downright most enjoyable of them all. And may I say from the bottom of my heart, owl, have mercy. Wow, wow, dude love just crushing it with his own version of Dean Martin's Let It Snow uh, stopped on two occasions, uh, but I hope that does not stop you from enjoying this and having an amazing Christmas and a downright wonderful New Year. May all your days be nice. So how about that? We found yeah. out today, boys and girls, that uh, mankind got to meet Janine and Julia Ann. <laughs> And the dude likes the rough stuff. You never know what we're going to... Dude, he doesn't like the rough stuff. Right? I don't. I, no, no. I'm not advocating the rough stuff at all. That was just for the sake of that video. So let that not be the... We just had a great episode about It was Cornette. phenomenal. So let's not let the You think the Corny rough... liked the rough stuff? Who? Corny? I don't know either. Look. I, uh, I was told Howard Finkel had a... <laughs> An, a smorgasbord, a collection to behold. He was a connoisseur. Really? Yeah, a connoisseur. No, dude does not like the rough stuff. As a matter of fact, it's uh, it's well known. I've got a couple friends in the industry, 
with another place, another time. But they're really valued friends. They really are. You get to we should be- talk about the parallels of that industry and pro wrestling one day. Bruce and I have debated that before, and I think it's a fascinating comparison. It's all the downfalls of wrestling magnified by like 100, as far as the stigma goes. Stand-up comedy, adult film stars, pro wrestlers, three peas in a pod. Let's talk about it. One day, One day soon. One day soon. But not next soon. week. Because next week, no, no. Stone Cold <laughs> Steve Austin. Right here on Foley as Have well. a nice day. <laughs> Woo Wings, a virtual restaurant concept from the man himself, the nature boy, Ric Flair. Enjoy the legendary flavors and world championship wings by ordering with your Uber Eats or Postmates app. Woo Wings is now open in Nashville, San Antonio, Jacksonville, Florida, as well as Huntsville and Tuscaloosa in Alabama, with many more locations coming soon. Try the only chicken wings worthy of carrying the name of the 16-time world heavyweight champion. Tell them, Nate. Woo Wings! Legendary flavors! World championship wings! Woo! Woo Wings! Yeah! Woo-woo!